Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jake. And this is Shanteta. The only thing that can defeat me is religion. So our first movie is Blood Feast this week. We're in kind of a goruary. We're starting February <laughs> off with all blood, all guts. Uh, oh, can we do February Gore Month? <laughs> we make we totally could. I mean, I've definitely got the movies for it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's see if the cards play out that way. We don't let's know see. yet because we might be digging through more of those coffin Joe ones at the very least. Although we I could. think I might need to get a replacement disc for one of those. I got a contact arrow. I got to check the disc because I uh -oh. think disc four in that that set is known to be kind of like th there's supposed to be an issue with it. Maybe. Oh. Um, we'll see. Oh, no I, I still need to get that replacement for Incredible But True anyways from them, so I should contact them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're talking about a different era release from the majestic uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, what is it called? The it, it, It's got Feast in the name, I think, or Blood. Um, Probably both. Oh, shoot. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, it, it's, it's a cereal box. It's a cereal it's box. Him. Yeah. <laughs> It's him, like, drawn up like a cereal mascot, just spooning his guts into his mouth. Gore! Classic gore. <laughs> the godfather of gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis. <laughs> so, 1963, this isn't his first film. He started out in Nudie Cuties and Ruffies. But this is his landmark film. This is the one that sort of starts the career as people know him. It, it feels pretty first film kind of <laughs> <laughs> first of this sort of film uh, yeah. i mean this was the well, first of this sort of film this was the original gore picture they didn't exist before this you didn't yeah. see this stuff and i'm going to be looking for that for every movie like in the 50s and earlier mm. to see if there's any gore like this i don't know if i'm going to find it it's pretty rare uh, and, and this is certainly the first film that really leans into it and goes really gross. You know, this is the movie that lingers on that stuff and no one had done that before. And I, I don't know if you had a chance to check out the documentary on HGL in the set. No, I, I wasn't sure what disc it was on and I, I didn't really go super through the set. Mm. Uh, it, it talks about him sort of realizing that there was, uh, a space in the market you know he, he was looking at stuff and i, I don't recall exactly what it was there's maybe an instance of something kind of gory and he realized that it's a thing that no one else is doing and that he could go out there and he could be the gore guy he's like yeah, yeah getting in on the ground floor yeah because even like the, the really upsetting horror movies for back then like the first frankenstein hmm. there was no gore in them they were just no. they were upsetting for other reasons well, and the thing with those is even what you saw in uh, the versions that we have, those are the restored versions. I mean, after they originally came out in the 30s, they were incredibly shocking and controversial, and they censored them. So, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the, the versions that people would have been seeing in the 50s and 60s would have been heavily cut down from what you saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, interest. Oh man, I wonder what those. I kind of want to see those versions now, out of curiosity. See what was cut. <laughs> They'd be so short because you know, these are already really <laughs> yeah. short movies. And this like one is too. Five minutes. Yeah, yeah, this one is so short. <laughs> uh, I was just... shocked we were going to do it for a main feature. 
Oh, and I have so much to say about it. I love this oh, movie. I, it's it's a delightful movie. So distributed <laughs> by fun. distributed by Manson International. I thought that was kind of funny. You know, this is a few years before Charles Manson. That's but really funny. <laughs> just kind of worked out that way. Uh, as HGL said, you watched the intro, right? Where he's I did. You you kind of yeah. get an I get a feel for the guy that he is very honest about his work <laughs> mm. he's like oh yeah we didn't have a budget or good actors or sets <laughs> yeah. or or and he's just going off and he's like but we had fun yeah we had fun we, we know it's crap you know, like <laughs> i i understand that it's crap uh, i made it knowing this but you know I, he's never had any illusions of being like there there's no pretense in uh hgl's work and he's interesting as a contrast to al adamson because he comes just a few years earlier but they have kind of a similar approach although adamson is very he likes to put a lot of money on the screen you know he, he loves his locations he <laughs> yeah. he likes to get significant actors uh hgl he, he's he's a bottom feeder he's going for gore <laughs> he's going for shock and he knows it like he's completely uh, straight about it <laughs> uh you know they he did kind of remind me a little bit of adamson and mm. i actually got them kind of mixed up because i thought the adamson box before i had ever seen it i thought mm. adamson was the one where he was eating the cereal or the blood oh, out of the, out of the right. cereal right. i got it mixed up that way because the boxes are similar sized yeah, and it, it's kind of a similar cartoon art on the Adamson box with him. He he looks like a Mad Magazine caricature of Al Adamson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now there's there is a lot of uh, comparisons to be made between these two. It, they're they're similarly fun. Yeah, and I would say that HGL he is incredibly influential, and not someone who's like trying to be. He's just okay. you know he he came out and he was doing stuff that no one else was doing, and people realized like, hey, people want to see this. <laughs> he, you know, it took someone to venture into it to do it, and like Blood Feast made money. <laughs> really, I would. I was curious about that. Like, how successful was Blood Feast? It cost a little under twenty five grand. And it okay. uh, it had an original box office of four million. Holy shit! Okay. So he bankrolled That's, the rest of yeah. his career. Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know, because it's <laughs> not like he did. Yeah, because it's not like he's making movies that cost money. He he never started doing that. It's not like he he decided to level up from here. It's just like, all right, I've got my niche. Oh man. Okay. Well, I mean, this worked apparently. Yeah. yeah. So our first scene, we've got this lady in a blue dress. She enters her apartment with some groceries, and there's ominous music playing. So we know something's bad gonna something bad's gonna happen to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it's there. There is a stiffness to these. I like how she turns on the radio, and it is perfectly timed to the start of the thing that she needs to hear that is pertinent <laughs> to the plot. Like not even they, they don't even try to chance it. Like have a bit of something else trailing at the end for verisimilitude. Yeah. It's just, and now for some tragic news. <laughs> yeah, not even we interrupt uh, Dr. Demento or whatever. Or, or even just like have a little bit of something trailing off so you're not immediately at the start of this thing that is specific to what we're, but you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're the sledgehammer approach always. <laughs> 
So the the news report says there's a young girl found dead in Rogers Park, body badly mutilated. Oh man, mutilated is a word that uh, really belongs in every uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis film. Mutilation. Uh, you, you remember Lost Skeleton of Cadavra? <laughs> oh, I don't know what would badly mutilate. <laughs> hmm, mutant, mutilate. <laughs> Uh, I I barely remember that. I don't I don't remember I, that movie at all. I love that movie so much. This is like one of the most quotable movies. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how many of the things I just randomly say are from that movie. <laughs> I, I I don't think I was there when y'all watched it. No, you totally were. We watched it um, a while ago. You were you were totally there the last time we did. Hundred uh, okay. um, percent. Was I sober? <laughs> I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Although I'll guarantee I recall that I was not. I was on Edibles the last time. Anyway, uh, this is one of the things in the movie that I think is ridiculous. There is a request from the police, and the, our guy will talk about it later, how <laughs> he thinks this is his great idea. Uh, they request that all women must stay indoors after dark. Yeah, um... <laughs> Okay, like, wow. <laughs> this way, or be accompanied by a man. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's much easier than the police doing their job. Oh yeah, this way they don't even have to leave their office. <laughs> I do think there is a satirical element to the way uh, Herschel portrays the police because they're useless, but they're so self congratulatory <laughs> how useless they are. Unless. <laughs> The cops don't do anything in this. Pete might be new worst cop. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> There's a bit where he's like, everybody, everybody on the force is working double shifts to get this guy. Except for me, I'm on a date with you right Except now. Except for me, I gotta go on this date. I, I gotta go learn all this stuff that's pertinent to the plot, but not realize it. <laughs> and not actually learn it either, because I'm going to have to phone the professor later and make him explain it to me again, because I wasn't listening. Well, yeah, he was on a date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the girl at the start, I don't know if she has a character name. Uh, she she undresses uh, in front of some closed blinds where it's clearly daytime outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the night for day in this is... Uh... Yeah. There, there is a bit of it. I didn't realize that they were doing night for day, and I'm just like, why is this day so blue? Yeah, they do that a few times, and the other direction too at times. And it was like, I don't know what's going on here. What time is this supposed to be? <laughs> yeah. So she gets in the bath. Uh, we we see a little bit of breasts. You know, we're we're teasing a bit of nudity. But we're not like very explicit with the nudity. We're here for gore. But, you know, he comes from the nudie film area, so he's putting a little bit of that in there, too. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, she, she has a cozy read with her. <laughs> um, what is it? Weird religious uh, rituals or something? Ancient weird religious rituals. <laughs> Ancient and weird. You got to get the two yeah. adjectives in your... It's uh, great. I, I love the title. I love that just the the ominous text on this leather bound tome next to the bath. And like, oh, yeah, it's a real cozy bathtub reading. Leather bound <laughs> as though it were like a Bible. There's no, or yeah. like an encyclopedia. There's no author listed. There's no publisher. That's just 
Well, if the author were listed, that would give away the game. <laughs> oh, of course it would, totally. <laughs> Although it's like immediately, like we focus <laughs> on it right away. I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's an absurd name for a book. Anyway, uh, a shadow passes over her, and it's Fuad <gasps> Ramses. <laughs> oh, not Fuad Ramses. He's so scary. He stabs her. Ah, she screams. Uh, ah! I his old age makeup. So versus <laughs> guy from Savage Beach. What do you think? Um, this is uh, worse, right? He is much faker, old I don't man. Know. He he still kind of looks like a person and not a raisin. True, he looks like, but he doesn't look old <laughs> at no, all. He, he just like looks a... like a dude with gray hair for some who's like dyed his hair gray. Yeah, like but like is. not not properly dyed like the the this uh silver hair spray paint that you put in your hair it's inconsistent yeah it's it's a halloween <laughs> do and like they they've put makeup on him to make him look kind of it's it's almost a brown face i think there's trying to make him look older and egyptian they uh, did not succeed did at not, either thing no no <laughs> he just seems like this just just weird guy that's all he re- i yeah. thought he was he, i thought he had like a kramer haircut at first <laughs> no i remember the first time i watched this and they reveal later on that he's supposed to be an old man i was like really <laughs> <laughs> they're looking for an old man i thought it was going to be that that was a mistake but no he is an old man <laughs> like that's astonishing <laughs> yeah i mean he looks even with the makeup like he looks maybe 40 maybe at best i mean he's clearly just a young dude yeah so he pulls back the knife i want to talk about the gore in this movie because gore is obviously very central this is oh we're, yes. we're starting maybe a bit of a gore month so he pulls the knife back and there's just gore stuck to it <laughs> <laughs> i think it, it kind of looks like maybe prosciutto <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this isn't an actual organ that's being pulled out this is bits of person this is bits of gunk uh i don't know like i do think it's probably deli meat <laughs> oh oh gosh yeah for sure <laughs> that's definitely the impression i get a lot of it it, it doesn't look like any kind of thing mm-hmm. <laughs> so of course we linger on the body uh soap mostly covering the breasts uh, and there's so much ketchup. <laughs> so much. Did this come out before or after Psycho? After. This would have been before, I thought. After? Okay. Three years later. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Psycho's 1960. So Psycho oh. is, is definitely an influence here, where they're like, all right, people want to see this kind of stuff. I'm like, what if we really show it, though? let's really kill someone in a shower (laughs) well i mean let's really cover someone in ketchup yeah Uh, yeah, like (laughs) it it is very very red very thick ketchupy blood i like it might actually be ketchup i don't think it's a caro syrup or anything it's way thicker than that way faker than that maybe it's a poster paint (laughs) but how often did you see prior to this huge freaking pools of blood everywhere in films though i mean never yeah. <laughs> this this is the the beginning so i mean you know he's originating it i mean if if you look at the poster it's the same color bright red blood that's yeah. on it and it has in blood color <laughs> so <laughs> they were really accentuating the redness of the blood 
it's it's an artistic choice <laughs> it works too because actual blood on camera looks black and it's true it doesn't <laughs> i wonder if the modern media portrayal of blood as bright red comes from this movie I mean, I, I I do think that it was definitely going to be an influence on someone like Tarantino, who does you know the bright red sprays and gouts oh, yeah. of blood. I mean, his yeah. mainly comes from Japanese cinema that has a lot sure. of that. Like, but absolutely, HGL's in there. So we the the camera sort of pans down her nude body with, uh, the you know the I think he stabbed her in the eye initially or something. <laughs> I think so. But a few cut, people get stabbed in the eye in these. There's a lot of eye stuff. Week. Yeah, eye stuff is big. We yeah. we cut to Fouad's eyes leering. They fill the entire screen. It's like <laughs> this doesn't look like an old man. Uh, but we we see him just chopping and chopping. Uh, <laughs> it, and like her hand starts scraping down the wall like she's dying a second time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> she was unconscious, and then she woke back up to do that. <laughs> one of like one of her eyes was open, the other one was gone. I think, and yeah, she's she was dead, and then he starts having it like her her hands is like like you were dead a minute ago. Anyway, <laughs> he he hacks off her lower leg and just puts it in a sack. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love all like the bits coming from the leg stump. Yeah, just chunks and chunks. Uh, th there's also the thing of uh, there's a lot of blood in like a couple spots, but there's no splatter. Like there's no splash when he's stabbing. <laughs> it's just yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, Maybe he hasn't figured out the splash yet. Oh, de they definitely haven't got any kind of splashback and like s gore splattered everywhere. Like when he's chopping, there would be all sorts of splash all over the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, here it's just, it's very compact. It's, you know, it's, it's ketchupy. It, it's all pooling in a spot. Uh, there's a lot of it in the bath. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, too thick to go down the drain in this one. Yeah. So we linger on the stump for a second and then cut to the Sphinx opening titles. <laughs> oh yeah. With like the blood splattery blood feast. Yeah. Font. Yeah. It's sort of a spray painty blood kind of logo. It's all, you know, kind of drains down. It's cool. Uh, kind of funky little opening music. Bum, ba -da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. And we cut to the Homicide Bureau, where we meet our useless detectives, Frank and Pete. <laughs> oh, man, they have found no fucking clues whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're like, it, it's like uh, Flanders' parents, right? <laughs> we tried nothing, we tried and then we're nothing. all out of ideas. Uh, they say there have been seven killings of young women in two weeks and they're Jesus increasingly Christ. brutal so that's a that's, lot <laughs> that is a lot they should be they shouldn't be sitting in their office just looking at old papers <laughs> or not looking at papers <laughs> they never do anything outside of this office until the very last scene of the movie <laughs> they're useless well the one guy goes on the date outside of the office Right, but that's not a police thing. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it kind of ends up working as a police thing. It's extracurricular <laughs> it's, work. 
It's not intended to be, though. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they're saying there's no clues, which is very surprising, because we did just see the last murder, and he wasn't wearing gloves, he was not attempting <laughs> to... Like, he's clearly a deranged man who's just there with a knife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no attempt to clean anything up. It's like that John Mulaney bit where, before they had forensics, they were like, oh, that's a lot of the victim's blood. Gross. Gross. Clean that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the things in their office that I really love, they have just this huge green, it's like a leaf-shaped ashtray on their de on the detective's desk. It's the centerpiece <laughs> of the desk. Very <laughs> 60s. Yeah. <laughs> the centerpiece on his desk should be paperwork from the case, but what do I ashtray. know? Ashtray! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how detectives think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Their coffee and their cigarettes. Yeah. So they mentioned that the murderer has been stealing lots of different parts and organs. Yeah, different ones each time. Seems really inefficient. <laughs> Why don't you just take a person and then get all of the parts? But I don't know. Well, the ritual works that way. It's got to be a bunch of different sacrifice virgins. I, I mean, I don't know if the, the professor's thing really bears that out. Well, I think the professor is getting his ideas from Fuad's book, so it's whatever Fuad says it is. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Fuad's just deranged, I think, is really the main thing. He's more of an Ed Gein, but if he was, like, turbo. Uh, yeah, Ed Gein as a religious zealot. Yeah. Uh, as Well, he's an Ishtar cultist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Pete says, well, Frank, it looks like one of those long, hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to stay until 6 p.m. tonight. Like, I know what you mean. <laughs> so, uh, I, I believe it is Frank who he, he's talking about like, oh, well, I, 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 I hope our curfew announcement ordering all women to stay indoors after dark is going to help. That's the only thing we can do. <laughs> it's like, do you have any people enforcing this curfew? Soul current strategy. Patrolling? Radio announcements. No. I mean, you would have to leave the office. They don't have a budget for that. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, we, we do see a scene where he's ordering all these policemen who are just out of frame, but they're yeah. totally there. <laughs> you absolutely have a bunch of police officers. <laughs> you know they're there because he's calling their names. Yeah, they have names. They must exist. Yeah. So, meanwhile, at Fuad Ramsey's Exotic Catering, which I love the sign <laughs> with the faux Eastern text, it looks like... Uh, it looks like a Chinese food place rather than it's not yeah. like an Egyptian style. It's just, you know, no. <laughs> uh, so this guy has been basically this feast he's doing has been his life's work, but somehow he had time to start a catering thing and then develop a reputation for this catering thing. He seems to have a good reputation. Like some other lady recommended him to Mrs. Fremont. So, <laughs> so Dorothy Fremont, old Betty, because she is introduced here. She she comes in. She's got her huge giant hat. Oh, I love her. <laughs> her fur coat. She's dim. 
<laughs> oh, this feast will be to die for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. She's already on another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, she says that her friend Annette recommended him. And I'm like, why? This guy doesn't seem like he's ever been capable of doing anything. No. He's so Seems like he's singularly focused on this one thing. <laughs> he's comically sinister. Every moment he's talking to her just stings oh, yeah. of music after everything he says. Dun, dun, dun. Because <laughs> she's like, there's a there's a dinner party that I need catered in about two weeks for my daughter, and I want something unusual. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, he suggests the Egyptian feast. Dun. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds He's nice. Like, oh, that sounds great. You know, my Suzette's studying Egyptology. That would be perfect. Oh, yes. And he's like, it hasn't been served for 5,000 years. Dun. And he's like, yes. Lovely. <laughs> just a pause. Yes, that sounds good. Uh, and he just keeps going off. He's giving off just the most comically sinister vibes. And she's like, mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you are in for a devilishly good time. <laughs> in fact, you might even say, I'm going to make you eat your daughter's friends. I mean, like, I I think we're supposed to take away from this. And it, like, I was watching it this time and kind of trying to understand the way the scene is playing out. I think he's supposed to be hypnotizing her. Um, if you watch maybe. it, I think he's hypnotizing her because there's a point where she kind of blinks and is like, hmm, but she doesn't really know how to act like she's hypnotized. So she just like <laughs> seems like she's disinterested. Well, that's kind of the problem with the whole film is that nobody really knows how to act like whatever they're trying to do. <laughs> it's fine. It works. It's yeah. yeah. Funny. It, it is very funny. Like, like he said, we didn't have good acting. <laughs> he was right. So yeah. it's the feast of the goddess. These things have been ready for a long time, Mrs. Fremont. And she just sort of awkwardly leaves. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Yep. And then very slowly he walks through the restaurant with his very exaggerated limp. So we're, we're establishing <laughs> that he, he drags his foot and yeah. he goes around the counter and he goes all the way through the store and winds his way there to the back rooms. Like we're, we're just watching him drag his foot for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a fake limp though. So oh, it when is. he's running from, it is an absurdly fake limp. <laughs> yeah. So when he's running from the cops at the end, I expect him, to, I keep expecting him to like Kaiser Soze it and oh. just run normally, but no, no, the no. It's just it's just a badly acted limp is the thing. <laughs> yeah, the character does have a limp. <laughs> yeah. So the back room, brick walls. It's a chamber with these red curtains and chains on the walls. He's been working on this a long time. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I, he's only been killing for two weeks, but what was he doing before? Because wasn't he run out of a previous town or something? Don't we? Don't we find out? Oh, none of this makes sense. Anyway, <laughs> well, two weeks. You know, he's just been establishing his uh, catering service. Prior to that, he's just been, I guess, trying to get his Yelp reviews up. But so th he's got a tiki torch there, which he lights, obviously, 
<laughs> sets it down to his idol of Ishtar and prays to it. Uh, there, there's just an open pot of gore nearby, uh, which you, it's, it's not like at this point, it's not boiling or anything. You'd think it would be rotting because it's been oh. at least a couple weeks at this point. He's just got gore sitting in the back room of this store. How bad must this room smell? Well, maybe this is a walk-in <laughs> freezer with all these curtains. Mm, it's brick walls. Uh, brick walls. <laughs> I, maybe Fuad Ramses doesn't have a sense of smell. And I... Do his customers <laughs> not? You would smell it through the walls. <laughs> you totally would, yeah. Yeah, you would. Um it would be like but, walking into Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment if you went into this catering place, and you wouldn't want it to smell like that. Not a catering place. Like, that no. he has it in the back room of his store is the silliest part. Like, <laughs> if, if he went to his house, and it were in yeah, the back sure. room of his house, that would be fine. His shed yeah. or something. like yeah, Totally yeah, no. fine. Not in his place of business where people are going to be smelling it every day. Alf Inspector. Come to inspect your facilities here. Why does it smell like rotting meat here? Oh no, that's not the stuff we serve out. That's for a different yeah, yeah, project. Yeah. That's that's a sewage problem. <laughs> so we we see the newspaper headline: leg cut off. <laughs> Go see your leg. Oh. Just leg cut off is a very funny. That that's like a New York Post headline. Yeah. <laughs> And we, we cut to the cops reacting to it again. They're flummoxed. There's no prints again. There's no clues. And, like, we saw <laughs> that murder. We, well, they're in their own. I mean, they haven't been to the crime scene. Someone else no. is going to, you got to outsource that shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> just, <laughs> they no clues. We saw it. He was not wearing a glove. He was just, like, hacking. How did, how was there no clues? They probably left the knife behind. <laughs> Footprints. Yeah, and they're like, man, the only thing that's uh, notable about her is she attended this book club. And this is the dumbest thing in the movie to me because <laughs> Pete is in this book club. <laughs> yes! We, we, it hasn't been revealed yet and we don't know it, but we will see Pete at the book club and learn that he's been there for some time. He's been attending these classes and he doesn't know. It's like He should know all the victims. He, he should know them. He should have been hanging out with them. Like All of the people are in the same social circle as him and he doesn't realize it. He's the worst cop in the world. It's so weird. Every time there's a murder, there is suddenly fewer people in my book club. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> and Frank, this is the single stupidest line in the entire movie. He's like, well, stay on it, Pete. I'm like, you think? Stay on the serial killer case? <laughs> uh, no, you know, we could just let this one play itself out. I'm sure it'll be fine. You can stay on it. Sure. <laughs> Which is stay, which means stay in the office and look oh, at yeah. the wall. Yeah, stay on that, stay on your ass right there in that fucking chair. <sighs> so we we cut to two people making out on a beach at night. <laughs> this is uh, Marcy <laughs> so and Tony. Dead. Yeah, well, one of them is. Oh yeah. Uh, they're surrounded entirely by blackness. This one's actually shot at night, except for the film nights, film lights, which are clearly shot. You can see like a film light 
spotlight on the sand and the spot that they are and there's darkness everywhere else. Oh, yes. Looks very weird. I, <laughs> I wasn't convinced that this was on an actual beach. Well, it's just extraordinarily unrealistic looking with the, the light oh, yeah. in the one spot and there's darkness. So Fuad limps up, you know, <laughs> dragging his foot, <laughs> casting this huge shadow over them first. <laughs> He's not stealthy. <laughs> and he raises the knife and he, he seems to chop both of them. But he's obviously focusing on the lady, and he's pulling out her brains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marcy, and she's just she's so ketchupy. So there's so much on there. <laughs> Gooey. And for some reason, there's a snake on the beach. <laughs> it like comes up and it looks at the girl and like backs away and like ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, where is this beach? Where is this town? <laughs> I, I just, yeah, the, there's a snake there, and it's like, ew, I don't want to touch that, and it backs away, and then the police show up. <laughs> snakes aren't snakes aren't carnivorous; they don't want to eat meat. It's just weird. So, Tony's alive, uh, and he's the worst actor you've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I can't remember. I can't remember what he looked like. The spotlight from the film lights were blinding me. He's, I didn't have good night vision. He's got just like a bandage on his head and he's screaming and crying and he's he's so big. <laughs> I can't remember. It's, like, it's okay, my Tony, fault. She wanted to leave. <laughs> so they they bring in marcy's grieving parents to the homicide office they're also very bad actors two very different performances <laughs> that they're doing but it turns out that she was also in the book club which again pete what, what? are you doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like pete don't didn't you know like all of these people yeah, I didn't really talk to anybody. Yeah, you know, I'm not into socializing at those events. Uh, so we cut to Fuad. He's got his cauldron, cauldron boiling. He's got Nganga going. Uh, <laughs> he's putting bits of gore into the cauldron. And he's talking about how this is going to be a resurrection ceremony for Ishtar somehow. Uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, the same thing is going on in Q, the Winged Serpent. Uh, although oh, there, I, I, I don't know. If, I think I don't know which. Uh, there, I think it's just the god Quetzalcoatl is Q, and they're just like giving tribute to him by <sighs> grabbing people and sacrificing them. The the cultist turns out to be the guy who plays Charlie's landlord on Always Sunny, <laughs> the guy <laughs> really? he threatens with the gun. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, man. okay. <laughs> so, uh, later at day for night, <laughs> we, we see a couple pulling up <laughs> the outside of an apartment building. It's very blue out. Oh, it's so blue. And I think it's the same apartment building that Fuad lives in, or maybe it's a motel because he's like lurking at the top and he sees them. It would. <laughs> oh, what was that movie where like the two. Yeah, because uh, like the people spying on them were just all hanging out in the same apartment building, just across the hall from each other. I think that was. Um, oh, I can't remember. I, I I believe that was 
uh, the uh, Ichi the Killer. That's what it was. It yeah, was Ichi the Killer. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's got some gore in it. Oh yes, it does. <laughs> uh so this is a weird bit you know the day for night it's all blue there's no audio for them i think we're supposed to be fuad pov watching them from a distance but they look like they're supposed to be drunk and loud like they're carousing and loudly kind of laughing and making out and such uh which I, i assume is they woke him up while they're stumbling around making out and that's how he rose up and came to get him Yeah, that, that I, like, I'm not as sure well as anything because it seems like a place where he is. He's up on the top floor when they get there. Uh, so the the guy drops off the lady and leaves. I'm now imagining that the entire book club just all lives in the same apartment building. <laughs> Maybe because I mean they they do all kind of look like the same sort of spaces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and he just never made that connection either. I, it, it could be that's totally viable because they never went you know they send other people to do that <laughs> yep so Fuad knocks on the door she answers it and he just <laughs> pushes her down on the bed and he pulls her tongue out <laughs> it's, it's a big cow tongue it's way too big for her mouth way too big for her mouth <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite bit of gore in the movie because after he pulls the tongue out uh, her head just kind of turns over to the side and just bits of gore continue to pour out of her mouth. Like, what are those even supposed to be? <laughs> uh, yeah, but at the same time, they do manage to make it look like the t- the mouth is just an empty cavernous space that has no tongue in it. Because yeah, they put just a bunch of gunk one. in there. Yeah, yeah, it's totally the best one. It's sort of the most famous one. Uh, I believe in the introduction to it on the disc, HGL is talking about how, yeah, people were throwing up in the theater at this scene. Like, this was pretty <laughs> extreme for the time. And, you know, it looks hokey now, but understand that at the time it was very shocking. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, the tongue scene. And if you'd seen the tongue scene, you you know what I'm talking about. It's exactly yeah. what you're imagining. Yeah, totally. So we see Mrs. Fremont and Suzette, the dumbest people on earth. They're talking about the party. And it's like, these murders really dampen the mood of my party. (laughs) And especially because they are all people you probably know. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, people who... She probably invited some of them to this party, and now they can't come because they died. Some of them who are currently invited are not going to make it there. Well, and... And some of them are going to make it there, but just, you know, yeah, in pots and pans. Well, no, because he leaves. He doesn't bring any of it, remember? Oh, right. <laughs> what is even this? Very bad caterer. <laughs> so Suzette's like, oh, I've got this lecture on Egyptian gods and cults tonight. And we, we cut to our guy, Mr. Flanders, uh, Professor Flanders, I guess, Dr. Flanders, uh, him lecturing on the cult of ishtar i love the like generic egyptian uh wallpaper in the background you gotta and just like two picture or like two carvings they got one of ramses it, it reminded me of the lecture in uh oh was that terrible uh it was not it was not a percol it was the fake out one it was the worst one Oh, a Grim Reaper or one of those? 
The one where it was a fake out, the guy went to, he, he thought he was going to a lecture on cool stunts, but oh, it turned to be a oh, religious thing. Fucking, oh, the one we both This is the worst one in the set. Religious symbol, that's the one. Sacred the symbol. sacred symbol. The sacred yeah. symbol. Yeah, it reminded me exactly of the sacred symbol, just <laughs> as cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but his is much funnier, and you know, it's about gore. Yeah, yeah. So it happened more than 5,000 years ago. I'm like, oh my god. We know about 5,000 years ago, because that's what uh, Fuad Ramsey said like six times earlier. <laughs> and also, Fuad Ramsey said, Ramsey's the pharaoh? Could there be a connection? <clears throat> so, he says that Ishtar was served by 20 beautiful young virgin girls, and it cuts to Suzette and Officer Pete in the audience, who we did not know up to this point were a couple. <laughs> yeah that's right that's not even mentioned it's like it's first time we find it out they're both in the audience there i thought he was here to do police work at first you would think but they the two of them look at each other and wink at this virgin's line like that's weird it's this turning you on is that why you guys are not is this why pete is not figuring anything out because he's just thinking about sex the whole time maybe it's the same problem that people had in bandarwaza just couldn't get that nut, so can't think about anything else. They're totally useless at figuring out the problem. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he needed a Kamya. <laughs> so Flanders says that on the seventh day of the festival, the young priestesses would be slaughtered and eaten. A blood feast! Everybody stands up and claps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that... Hold on, doesn't that mean that Fuad Ramsey's thing that he's trying to do should take seven days in total? Yeah, well, I guess all of this is preparing for it. But yeah, I mean, we know that it's already been two weeks of murders, but the murders oh, are only okay. supposed to be at the end of it. Yeah, like the rest of it's supposed to just be partying and revelry. And then at the end, they do the slaughters at the end of the seven days so yeah none of it makes like I, I, he, he's what he's doing does not match up with his book for his religious he rights wrote. yeah <laughs> so we they we uh see a sacrifice like we sort of flash back or visualize the removal of a heart uh <laughs> and the guy's like anyway this practice was abolished abolished by amenhotep the second so well, when it hasn't been practiced in 5,000 years. <laughs> when we came out of that flashback, I expected to go back to the professor saying, can you imagine the pain and suffering <laughs> they must have suffered in this incident? Yeah, completely. So we we, we see that Suzette and Pete are a couple. Uh, and he's like, and I might not be able for each other. They are an absolutely perfect match. He's talking about how they might he might not be able to make it to the party because, you know, I've got this serial killer investigation. It's really busy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's doing double shifts except for me. And he mentions the book club thing that he hasn't figured out the connection. <laughs> I was like, how, how dude? Studying a book. <laughs> it's your book club, the book club that this guy was referring to that you were just at talking about the same <laughs> things that are happening. They're talking about various different organs being removed for ritual purposes. And it's like, none of this is ringing a bell for you, man. <laughs> he was just not listening to the lecture. I He's guess like, not. Oh, he heard virgins for sure. I mean, he definitely oh, yeah. heard that word. 
yeah he, he says the only clue we have is that this guy tony said the guy had gray hair <laughs> so he's old <laughs> like are you kidding me all right so since we're already saying that all young women aren't allowed to be outside let's also round up all old people to the station yeah, that is coming up in a little bit and we'll round up every man over 40 which sure you guys are doing that you the most active cops in the world you're really gonna be getting out and doing that i don't think you understand how logistically impossible that is gonna be <laughs> so they he, he's gonna drive her home but they stopped to knack at makeout point obviously of course and he's he starts being like i have something to tell you which sounds really ominous and then he's like oh, i guess i'm a better policeman than a public speaker I'm like damn his public speaking must be for shit <laughs> <laughs> well if we haven't heard him say anything believable yet it's true uh, but he's interrupted because there's a radio broadcast all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> i guess the radio was just silent <laughs> until then there's been another victim, uh, but she survived. Ooh. So Pete and Frank have to go see her in the hospital real quick because you know, she's in critical condition. Right. She's she's the mummy now for a few seconds. Yeah, she's not going to make it. Most of her face is gone. Uh, and uh, so the she's she gives her name. She's Janet Blake. She says he had wild eyes. All right, well, let's bring in every single person with wild eyes, too. Yeah, both that he had wild eyes, he was an old man, and he said it was for Etar. Etar! <laughs> and she dies, and Pete's like, huh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> you just came from the lecture on Ishtar! Just now! You were there an hour ago! <laughs> but Ishtar has a shh in it, whereas Etar does not, so it can't, it must be some other thing. Uh, all of the details. I mean, he will put it together later and be very proud of himself, but it's crazy. <laughs> no, he will decide that he needs to phone the professor and get him to put it together. Yeah, so they, this is where they say, alright, this is the plan, we're gonna pick up every guy over 40. <laughs> no you're not <laughs> and like one thing i know about guys over 40 is that they love being rounded up and herded into the police station without any explanation <laughs> yeah. so oh. we, we cut to fuad ramses he's gotten a letter of someone requesting another copy of ancient weird religious rituals or ancient weird religious rites i think Something it's both like that, yeah. sometimes it's one or the other <laughs> Uh, you know i think that's right <laughs> i think uh so he phones her up it's trudy trudy sanders who's a close friend of suzette uh because she's all probably her friends <laughs> well, they, he calls up her home like i'm sorry she's at the fremont house right now and it's like oh she's over at at, at suzette's yeah. place uh because they're having a pool party so we, we cut to the pool party this is very much like um uh, the, that first movie we watched in the Sting of Death. It reminds me a lot of Sting of Death. Oh, Sting of Death. <laughs> Do the jellyfish. Uh, so <laughs> at the party, a knife-wielding shadow some looms over Suzette for a moment. Uh, and she looks up <laughs> and it just vanishes somehow. <laughs> I don't know. 
Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> if the camera doesn't see it, it's not there. But like, we know he can't move fast. <laughs> no, and he's probably he's not, not much for sneaking. Either. No, he drags his foot. <laughs> I heard somebody going. Grr, grr. <laughs> Because well, it, it's the funniest shot of the movie because it's it's him vanishing. They cut to him not being there, and then we see him very laboriously trying to climb over a wall, cut <laughs> <laughs> over a gate. Yeah, <laughs> but this just very bad ga- bad leg, and like we know he's not capable of sneaking. How did she? How did he disappear there? It's like we immediately see that he can't sneak. First thing we next see. Crazy. Imagine the noise he would make if he tried to go up a staircase. Oh, yeah, would knock, 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 knock every step. So we see Trudy walking home from the party later, and (laughs) just he comes out from behind nothing. He's just standing in the front yard. (laughs) Knocks her out. Picks her and picks her up to take her back to his restaurant or his catering business. <laughs> which, which, why didn't he just take someone the first time? And he could have uh, harvested a whole bunch of parts, and there would have been less evidence left behind. Although that doesn't seem like it's been a problem. <laughs> he didn't leave any evidence behind. Didn't you hear the cops? No clues at all. <laughs> I don't know. So Pete calls Suzette. To tell her he's going to be late to the dinner party. And she mentions Fuad Ramses. She mentions the Egyptian feast. And <laughs> she refers to the lecture they had and the whole cult of Ishtar thing. And that there's some Ishtar thing related to it. And oh, isn't it exciting? And he's still like, yep. <laughs> sounds good. Yep, that, that sounds great. It sucks I won't be there. Like, he, he literally hangs up and goes, <laughs> Ishtar. <laughs> I don't have time to chase after Ishtar. I'm looking for Etar. We cut to Fuad. He's got his just, he's got like a, a charcuterie board of gore <laughs> in the back room. <laughs> Trudy's chained up. He's whipping her, but the whip is just like, a mop with p- red paint on it, so it's leaving paint lines on her. <laughs> Give yourself up to the goddess. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what I've started doing now, subconsciously and not even realizing. Mm. Uh, counting every time they whip to see if they get to th- in a movie now oh. to see if they get to thirty nine. Thirty nine. Well, to forty because forty is where you die. You you yeah. stop at thirty nine, so they yeah, don't but- die. <laughs> <laughs> but usually movies stop way before well, yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's because, just way too many to show. Yeah, 39 Stripes showed all of them. Oh, he showed everyone. <laughs> this one, like, this is 39 Stripes style filmmaking. We are yes. seeing a lot of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Pete, back in the office, he finally puts it all together. It's like, wait a second, and he phones up the professor. I mean, he doesn't put it all together, but he starts to realize that he's missed all of the clues. Like, wait a second, let me call up someone smart. Professor, can you just off-screen uh, repeat your entire lecture to me, and I'll just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the very important detail, we cut to Flanders to see it, and he's like, well, I mean, Ancient Weird Religious Rites, that's a book by Fuad Ramses. 
And Pete's like, oh my god! And he calls for reinforcements, but he does not manage to call uh, the Fremont house because there's some lady on hold with her boyfriend on long distance. Of course. <laughs> so he can't warn them. He couldn't like oh, phone no. a neighbor or anything. He couldn't send a cop to their place where they know Fuad probably is because he was just talking That's to his true. girlfriend saying that he's there doing the party. A lot of failures. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, but I, I, Fuad, I... This is like it's a cooking show moment because we see Fuad putting a, a leg in the pizza oven and like he closes <laughs> it and then we do like the magic, you know, it's an hour later and he takes yeah. it out and it's perfectly browned. <laughs> perfectly charred. Because <laughs> then immediately after that, Pete and Frank arrive at his catering place and find the horrible back room and he's not there. So uh. it, it was just them showing this little cooking show moment in between. <laughs> Uh, I do like the the shot of just like her body on the table, and we just see no, all the ketchup. Yeah, no apparent wounds, <laughs> just but <laughs> marks, blood. So much, yeah, marks, ketchup, um, stuff on top of her. But she is dead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it's it's her body. <laughs> so Pete finally remembers that Fuad is catering the Fremonts right now. It's like, oh shit, we should go <laughs> over there. <laughs> so not, not even a, oh he's targeting people from the book club my girl could be next no More like, nothing nothing it's like oh wait i just remembered my girlfriend has fuad ramsey's at her place right this moment we should go over there we can maybe get him <laughs> uh, i'm trying to find the serial killer well i've got jeffrey dahmer uh catering to my house yeah. weird so we go to the party. Ramses is about to start serving dinner, and it's like, Suzette, I need you to help me in the kitchen with something. Uh, <laughs> this is the funniest scene. So, I love this part. She's so dumb. She comes into the kitchen like, where's all the food? <laughs> he's like, uh, it's in the fair, garage. A, that is a very good question. Where it's an extremely good question, because the food isn't here, because he didn't bring any. He left it all in his <laughs> back room. We saw it there. So where's the feast going to be? It's like, uh, it's in the garage. And he's like, I just need you to do a favor for a, a silly old man. Lie down on the counter for me. Because he's like, it It was traditional for a young lady to be offered to bless the feast. And she, she's like, how do I do that? <laughs> just repeat these three or this one simple sentence. I can't remember a sentence more than three words. She is struggling with remembering two lines. Uh, she keeps sitting back up. She's like, this is weird. This is silly. She's like, hey, you wouldn't sacrifice me on this altar, would you? She's like, of course not. <laughs> and she forgets the words a few times. <laughs> He's like, all right, I will repeat them. She gives them again. And he, he raises the blade. And then mom comes in and screams. And he, quote unquote, runs away. <laughs> the chase scene. Man, like, if she had just listened, she would be dead. She is saved by her own stupidity. She, she is saved by being an idiot. Uh, I, I love him struggling to run away. Like, he's going down a beach. Or it's, it sort of seems like a dump. Uh, well, it, 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 it turns out to be a dump, but it's it's on the water, so it's so, it's a beach dump. I don't know where. It doesn't seem like yeah. good. 
environmentally very good. You know, he's handily outrunning all the cops. It's the funniest thing. There are two police that see him running down the street uh, as they arrive, and they chase him, and they cannot catch up to him. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> they can't do it. He must have been outrunning these cops for miles. They're in a car. <laughs> Pete shows up, and he goes in to comfort uh, Suzette, uh, and then... Frank and Pete leave the house to join the chase. <laughs> and we see them running, and there's the two cops running, and there's Fuad limping and not really moving very quickly, and they keep having to lag back because they can't catch up with him. Yeah, the movie says you don't catch up with them, so you got to keep running slower, guys. My man is running across... I'm not running. My man is dragging across a, a dump, and there are four cops after him, and they just can't catch up. Somehow, two of them just get lost. <laughs> They're just like flat dump. Because <laughs> Pete and Frank are the only ones who end up where he is. Because like Flood, he climbs in the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> yeah. Because it's pulling away. It's like yes, I escaped, and he gets compacted. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the truck the cops and the trash man is like dude <laughs> i just murdered a guy by trash tr truck no, he's he a did little everybody upset. yeah he's he's troubled by it. And like oh god i just killed someone it's like it's okay it's, it, you did this uh, town of service and i i really like uh frank's eulogy <laughs> he died a fitting death in the garbage he was <laughs> 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 they just leave well no pete says all right well here's how i figured it out and he laboriously right. explains every single detail <laughs> that all the clues he put together and how clever he feels he was and like ah i did it let's go home frank <laughs> and last shot we cut to fuad ramsey's uh back room and the ishtar statue cries blood <laughs> the end poor ishtar nuts i love it like it is an insane movie it's very bad but <laughs> oh it's perfect. fun <laughs> i just love the end like the trash man he's like so do i get rid of the corpse what's the procedure here like do now i gotta clean this up do you cops you're gonna help me out with any of this no Okay. They just leave. They they just walk away, leaving the corpse of the murderer in the back of a garbage truck. Like, let's go home. <laughs> Do I have to give a statement or anything? Or I mean, that just seems like it would be paperwork. They only have the ashtray on their desk. No paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just what a weird thing this movie is. There's nothing else like a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. You know, it's it's like Al Adams and it's like Ed Wood. He's sort of right in between the two of them. You know, yeah, uh, there's there's some Ed Wood in there, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, definitely want to check out more of these. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, will we'll definitely have to dig into more of them. Like we when we started doing the show, I was already like halfway through this box. So you missed a lot of the classics. <laughs> and we'll, we'll dig into them over time. Excellent. So we also, of course, have an Ultra Q episode, episode number six, the craziest one yet. Is it an Ultra Q episode? I'm not convinced. I truly feel like this was maybe not written for this show or was written for a version of the show that they thought it was going to be. You know, yeah. like 
that this is prior like i mean it's written by the same guy who wrote pagila is here oh interesting uh and like one subsequent one later on but it feels so far off model it it has very little to do with our main cast and there's not really even a kaiju it's more of a yokai yeah uh we don't even get our theme song Right, no theme song. We don't have the intro where they talk about the unbalanced zone or any of that. Although we needed it because I do feel like this is the this is the episode where my head did, did separate from my body. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like a yokai thing, especially at the end of it when he's in the dragon temple or whatever, dragon palace. Yeah. Um... It's an abstract space, which is like where the yokai live in the ends of those movies. It's like where the yokai are going at the end. Yeah, yeah, like like a like the afterlife or purgatory or the other realm. Yeah. Uh, um, so this is directed by Harunosuke Nakagawa. Original air date February sixth, nineteen sixty six. So we're still uh, closely in line with the original air dates. That was yesterday. That as was yesterday. recording. Yeah. Yeah, we're recording on the seventh. So we, we start in a classroom. Our guy, Taro, who I want to say, I don't like Taro. No. <laughs> I think Taro no. sucks. It's the worst. This might be the worst kid. My my least favorite kaiju well, boy by far. Scott Farkas still exists. <laughs> yeah. Although this, this kid sucks. He, this kid sucks. Tender. I like He loves the turtle, but he is not treating the turtle well. And no one is treating the turtles well in this movie, no. <laughs> this episode. Hmm. No, like he's got like he's trying to get this turtle to grow up big and strong, but he's got a rope tied around it. Have you not seen the horrifying PSA with the the beer can rings? I mean, that, the not yet, not yet. This is oh. this is the sixties. Uh, yeah, I guess he wouldn't have. So That's he's right. yeah he's he's measuring him, uh, and he said we we realize that he's been feeding it this special formula uh chlorella yam powder and lemon juice which i don't think would really do anything but it's it's does it have magical properties i don't even know what actually happens in this episode <laughs> if we're being honest See, <laughs> yeah like at the end of this episode i felt like lee marvin in the prison cell going did it happen <laughs> yeah like what what happened how much <laughs> of this happened because because we see our main characters but for five seconds at most yeah they they, they just like appear they drive up and they look and it's like hey i mean they're probably there and they're right but they never come up again yeah <laughs> so uh the the professor confiscates the kid's turtle and taro explains how it's going to grow to 99 centimeters and it's going to take him to dragon pal uh yeah dragon palace and all the children yeah. laugh at him <laughs> Even the professor. I do oh, like yeah. that. All of the children laugh, and then the professor's like, <laughs> yeah, they're right to laugh at you, Ralph. <laughs> so he, he hangs the turtle, which I don't know if the turtle has a name, but he does turn out to be Gameron, which... Oh. So Gameron, right? You yeah. know, You know the episode of The Simpsons where a yo-yo team comes to the school, and then there's yo-yo fever? Uh, I think I remember that one. Like, just everybody in the school is obsessed with yo-yos, and it's driving the teachers insane. This right. feels like, you know, Gamera had come out the year before, or a couple years before this, the movie Gamera, the first one. Mm -hmm. 
And it was a sensation with kids. Of course. Kind of an unexpected sensation with kids. This feels like an episode written by a teacher who had to deal with a gamma craze. <laughs> oh my God, it totally does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ends the same way. Everybody's got their turtle at the end of the episode. Everyone's got a, a turtle on string. Deal with that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So we, we see the professor, he... The first of many things, mistreating this turtle, he takes the string and he just hangs him on like a a nail Hook or something. Yeah. yeah, just puts him over the desk, leaves him hanging all day. And bizarre mo- first thing that made me go, what? He orders Taro to go stand on the roof as punishment. This seems like a major. Uh, <laughs> you'd get in trouble. There, there would be a problem. Uh, yeah. You don't send children to go stand on a roof because if they fall off the roof, that's a huge liability issue. Yeah, although a lot of schools in Japan did have like a hangout spot on the roof with proper fences and all that. This one doesn't, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we well, see that it does is. not. <laughs> and the professor, like the kid looks back and the professor's like, I won't forgive you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah, he did just the worst thing, this kid, by having a turtle so there's this weird bit where after the class we see the professor leave with the turtle uh yeah wait a sec he he leaves taro on the roof because i guess he's leaving in there all day and from the roof taro witnesses a bank robbery and i we're sort of trying to do a boy who cried wolf thing but i don't know how it fits together yeah we don't see the child do the fake crying of the wolf so it doesn't really work yeah so he watches this police shootout. Uh, there's a couple robbers with Tommy guns. They look a lot like our two guys uh, who were in episode two, I think it was, with eggs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I they think look a so. lot like our alien egg guys, the guys who got killed in the cave. <laughs> so, of course, the kid runs to tell Sensei, and he doesn't believe him, obviously. He's like, last time you pretended there was a fire when I made you stand on the roof. Did you guys not hear the super loud gunshots just outside? And as no, our... Not. Like, as Jun, Yuri, and Ipe will say in their one moment on screen, they're like, well, there's a ton of windows facing the bank from this school. Someone would have seen something and heard something, but we don't follow that up. <laughs> no, no. And then, they, and then they're just like, well, now that we've said that, we're out of this episode. Yeah. So he sends Taro home. And we cut to the opening titles, which seem to be him at home later, but I guess it's just sort of a montage of Taro measuring the turtle and playing with it. More just, I mean, he's swinging rulers at it constantly. It doesn't seem like a very fun life for this turtle. No, no. And it's got like, it's not our cool song either. It's this other kid's song i guess it's a kid's song i think probably about turtles and he's like he's always got a a string tied around it and he's threatening it he's like don't forget i'm taking care of you this much (laughs) (laughs) yeah like is this turtle really gonna want to take you to the dragon palace once it gets grown up enough i mean yeah the answer ends up being yes but (laughs) although it does kind of tease him first is like no maybe i won't take you like yeah psych i'll take you but (laughs) The next day, I'm I'm sure Gameron is trying to escape. He he's like walked away from him, and he crawls into a storage room with the string, and 
it bites onto one of the robbers who are hiding there for some reason. Oh yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember how they how the robbers got back involved with this one. Because I I assume that this is supposed to be the same day that he has followed the turtle in here after the teacher didn't believe him. It's not I, supposed to be another day because they wouldn't still be here, right? Yeah, no, they, they probably. <laughs> that was not. the first area of confusion for me because it seemed like he was sent home with the turtle and went home and was playing with it, and it seemed like it's the next day, but it's clearly just minutes later. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, no, the the robbers would be hiding out five feet away from the thing for twelve hours. And there's also a bit where he comes in and there's a skeleton, like a an articulated skeleton in the science room, but it like makes a face at him and it like clacks its jaws and he goes, whoa. Right. <laughs> Did it happen? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> so it's it has crawled up the leg of one of the robbers. They're just randomly standing behind a sheet. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> He pulls down the sheet and he's like, oh, gangs. Uh, and they run. And it's it's like the kids in the hall. My pen, my pen. Like, Mr. My Turtle. Mr. Mr. My Turtle. Kame, Kame, Kame. <laughs> these, these poor robbers have just fucked with the absolute wrong kid to fuck with. But not for the reasons that you're expecting. It's just he's too annoying for them. He's completely irritating. Uh, he's irritating for me. <laughs> they they jump in the back of a truck and try to hide, and he's just at the back of the truck screaming, like, Mr. Gang! Mr. Gang! Hey! <sighs> so they, they just grab him by the head and hoist him up into the truck. And we see Jun and Yuri and Epe, and it's like, hey, look at all these windows. And, I mean, there's this big building right next to this. Uh, do you figure the robbers are maybe hiding out in school? I'm like, yeah, probably. And then we won't see them again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just checking in. Yeah, we're we're investigating this. That's the end of that. It's like the, we check in. It's like if this was an episode with our main characters, they'd actually figure it out. But since it's not, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh well. So people search the school. They find Taro's left behind backpack. They contact his parents, and obviously they tell him about what a turtle freak he is. Yeah. <laughs> now, meanwhile, in the back of the truck, the robbers are trying to slap the turtle off, <laughs> like, trying to knock it off of his leg, like, <laughs> just slapping it and hitting it and pulling it. And the kid gets very upset and is like, stop, you're hurting my turtle. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm thinking maybe I just want to shoot the kid at this point if I'm a robber. I'm maybe. already having a bad day. And they get to a roadblock and they pull out a Tommy gun, which is like, like, okay, shit, we're going to have to shoot our way out. And the kid's like, awesome. Let me hold it. <laughs> He's totally forgotten about the turtle. Let me play. Oh, you're Mr. I, I have so much respect for you and you're the coolest. Can I please hold the gun? Somehow they decide <laughs> to let him hold the gun. <laughs> this turns out to be a terrible mistake. He's just like aiming it everywhere. He's like, can I take a shot? And he's aiming it at them. But he's not trying to turn the tables on them or anything. He just wants to play with the gun. Yeah, he's just playing. He's not trying to get out or anything. <laughs> he pulls the trigger pointing at them, but, you know, it doesn't fire because it's got a click. And then he points it at his face and he's pulling the trigger. It's the stupidest kid we've had. <laughs> oh, man. 
this is the this is like the first point where I'm like, okay, this is this has to be the dumbest that this episode or the weirdest that this episode is going to get, right? But no, definitely not, not. even close. He's pointing a Tommy gun in his face, clicking the t- trigger, going, "Huh, that's weird." <laughs> He's trying to Kurt Cobain himself, <laughs> and you know the robbers finally wrestle it back from him, like, "Give me that! Stop it!" And it goes off when they grab it, and it's just like cops are are alerted, so they have to run. They run into an amusement park, and it's like, "Oh, you won't like it." <laughs> <laughs> Because Taro gets the machine gun back and they're running away from him and he's got the gun. <laughs> yep. So we get just this weird, it's it's a Benny Hill bit. They're running in circles. <laughs> They've got the robbers. You've got Taro. You've got the police. You know, the robbers at the front, Taro with the gun in the middle, the police behind him. I do like how they filmed it from the top of one of the spinny amusement park rides. That's fun. And I like the amusement park stuff. Yeah. Uh, Taro just screaming, Kame, Kame, turtle, give me back my turtle. <laughs> so they run through a bunch of different rides and they somehow manage to lose the police. I don't know how. These idiot robbers and this kid with a machine gun. Well, in, th- in this week's movies, cops don't seem to be good at running. It's true. I mean, a lot of cops aren't good at running, running's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it is. There's a reason it's an Olympic sport, and you got to train for that shit. I'm not good at running. No, no, me neither. <laughs> so Taro's like, Mister, you forgot your machine gun. <laughs> they didn't lose him. <laughs> uh, so they he takes the machine gun back and like, okay, great. And they climb into a sewer. Uh, Taro just still following them. <laughs> it's like, please leave us alone. <laughs> and we sort of get voiceover at this point about his fantasy but the dragon palace and everything kind of reminding about this whole dragon palace fantasy that he has it's important because we are going to go there (laughs) we're about to go there and he's like oh i have this dream of going to the dragon palace where i'll meet princess otohime and we're gonna have this thing she's gonna make me ceo of whatever yeah just he'll he'll become ceo businessman uh he'll be mr business <laughs> i went to the business factory last week and I then i'll business yeah and i'm gonna train to become a gun master because he's really into that now yeah and then he's enjoying that idea so he's saying kablam blam blam and it wakes up the robbers who've fallen asleep <laughs> and they're fucking tired of this they're so annoyed <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And he wait, he's like, oh, it's a dream. And then <gasps> my turtle got bigger. And I, I guess at this point we could think that there is a dream element, but then the robbers see it and it affects the robbers' decisions. Yeah. Um, so the turtle did get bigger and we've got, I guess it's a guy in a suit, but. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it's a balloon. Or something. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it, it seems to be just one solid piece. Because uh, it's it's about the size of a monitor lizard now. Uh, we know that it is 99 centimeters in length because he will measure it and confirm. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's the it's the, the measurement I wanted. Magically. Yeah, but it is a ghost turtle and it decides, no, I'm just going to walk through the wall. Right, so first the robbers freak out and they run. They run to the police. They go find police and bring the police back. 
uh, and they there's like okay you know there better be a little boy and a giant turtle down here like we're sure of it uh, but meanwhile uh, he's like okay it's time to go to the dragon palace and <laughs> the turtle first phases through the wall alone he's like hey wait I'm like he betrayed me stupid turtle and he throws a fit he's like man I hate this kid he sucks <laughs> this kid is the worst <laughs> but of course Gameron he loops back uh, and and you know he he loops back and he uh, sits on him and he rides him through the wall and they phase and this is when the cops and robbers arrive and they're like well, there's no kid or turtle <laughs> so, so I don't know yeah. what you guys are doing <laughs> and then we see them outside flying through the air Gameron has landing lights on his side like he's an aircraft just blinking lights. <laughs> I thought it was a turret signal at first. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I love the way this thing looks. It, it just, it's one piece, you know? There's there's a turtle with, like, glowing eyes at the front. Yeah. Uh, it has, like, one of the shell, uh, I guess, panels flips up, and there's <laughs> instruments and a steering wheel. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Tara's like, I wonder how fast we're going, and a panel springs open, and the speed owner says, Wow, Mach 2, 3. <laughs> so they go underwater. Gameron's eyes glow. He becomes a submersible. Uh, they enter this abstract realm of smoke and water. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> uh, now I'm thinking that this kid is... This realm reminds me of uh, where the aliens in Arrival live. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I yeah. think it... it it definitely made me think of the yokai and just the, uh, that, that weird sort of abstract reality that they live in. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like we've gone into another another realm, like a purgatory or something like it. So we meet Pr Princess Otohime. She's on a swing. It seems to be suspended from nothing or maybe from water above. Um, it goes up real high. Very, very high. She's like, welcome to the Dragon Palace. And Taro's so ticked off. Like, I want to try the swing. <laughs> like, again, he's just such a little shit. And then yeah. it, it comes back and it hits him. And then magically, he's the one on it all of a sudden. And Otohime just conjures herself some ice cream. <laughs> and then she makes the swing disappear. So he falls on his butt and laughs at him. Like, <laughs> Teach you to be a shitty kid. And then he's got his jar of the turtle formula stuff. And he's like, I'll show you. This is an atomic bomb back on Earth. He's like, no, it isn't. And it blows up somehow. And only he's affected. But it's like a cartoon. He's all. Uh, yeah. His, he's, you know, like Elmer Fudd. Yeah, his face is all black. His clothes are just shredded to pieces. But he has zero injuries. Which, like, again, very weird <laughs> that he sort of made it an imaginary atomic bomb. And then she laughs and claps. And then she's like on a real atomic bomb, like Slim Pickens riding it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's on the turtle chasing her. He's chasing her on Gameron, of course. And then her bomb turns into her fire-breathing dragon. Because it's the Dragon Palace. And it, yeah. it shoots Gameron. And I think Gameron dies because we don't see Gameron again. Yeah, and he doesn't have a turtle at the end when everyone else has a turtle. No, he loses the turtle. I think Gameron died. <laughs> he got his turtle killed in the imaginary realm. Taro seems to fall into the ocean, and then she's like, 
Stop lying. I'm sick of your lies. What's wrong with you? And Tara's like, lie? I've never lied before. And she starts laughing, and he's just struggling in the water, starting to drown, I guess. And he finally agrees. Okay, I'll stop lying. She's like, okay, I'll give you this. And she holds out nothing. <laughs> but a box appears. Oh, right. We're still not done being trippy. I forgot no, about the no. box. <laughs> and she's like, open this if you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> which I don't know what this was a prank on him, I guess. Must have been. Must have been. Like, this is why I feel it's a yokai thing, because she's just tricking the shit out of him. She's messing with him. She's, like, oh, yeah. serving some sort of weird retribution for his crimes. Very obscure retribution. I I think that our yokai Kappa should have jumped out and done a little dance at some point. It would have fit. Yeah. And her swing rises up into the sky with her, and she goes away. And he he gets back from wherever he is, and he goes to his parents. And he's like, I'm never going to lie again. I'm sorry. I'm never going to lie. And let me tell you about what just happened to be at Dragon Palace. And of course, nobody believes him. This is, I think, supposed to be the boy who cried wolf element, which just, I mean, why he would they believe him? He didn't cry wolf, though. He didn't. <laughs> it doesn't work if he doesn't cry wolf first. So no one believes him. He's like, but they gave she gave me this box and like oh and they look at him like this is just an ordinary box. <laughs> it's like fine, I'll open it and then it says the word tarot is instantly a grandfather. <laughs> and he just has like this big long <laughs> fake beard and gray hair. I mean, I'll uh, tell you what, it is way more <laughs> convincing than Fuad Ramsey's. <laughs> Literally, what I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> And then everybody laughs, but I guess it's just a dream. Maybe because it just cuts to school the next day and everybody has a turtle and everybody's mistreating their turtles real bad. They're like knocking on them. They got them on strings. They're swinging around. <laughs> I was like, stop doing that. What's yeah, wrong with you? <laughs> so what do you think? Did it happen? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. Like there are things that had to have objectively happened, but most of it doesn't make any sense. My, my feeling is that all of it happened. I don't know why, and I don't know what any of it's about, but all of it happened for some reason. And they really just needed the opening narration to say that we are going into another realm, but then that then I would have been like, okay, yeah, this happened. This is just a weird thing in the unbalanced zone. I guess. It is truly uh, the strangest one yet, and this does break the streak. It is not my favorite one yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're gonna we're gonna say yeah, last week's one was still the top one for a bad. Yeah. Uh this one's maybe my least favorite episode so far. I still was very entertained. I was laughing at it, but I was also like, what the fuck is going on? What is happening? If this had been my first episode that I saw, I probably wouldn't have carried on with the series. Yeah, we would have been less interested, because it is a completely different vibe. It's not a kaiju episode. It, yeah. It's it's a weird thing. I mean, yeah. I appreciate that they're doing strange stuff, but this one, uh, not a favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I feel like they just... I really do feel like they shot this for something else, and then they were like, well, let's use this for ultra q we'll just have three guys our three guys show up and my show read up. 
my read is that it has like it is specifically riffing on Gamera and that it's kind of cultural, you know, uh, based on a Gamera fad that probably was an actual thing at the time. I, I totally believe there had been a Gamera fad after that first movie because it was huge. Oh, it's sure. very, I mean, very popular with kids. As we all know, kids love to make fads about turtles. I mean, when we were kids, the Ninja Turtles were. Yeah, they they are. That is a recurring fad, uh, mm -hmm. a cross cultural thing. Like even that famous internet meme turtle kid. I like turtles. That kid. Oh yeah. It's just it's 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 in in human in the human blood. Now this is why the uh, Kappa is the key fucking yokai. Mm -hmm. uh well anyway uh that that pretty much covers everything with both blood feast and grow little turtle <laughs> episode six of ultra q uh do you have any last thoughts before we move on to part two um yes uh i don't remember <laughs> it's my fault she wanted to leave <laughs> oh tony <laughs> oh tony <laughs> all right well on to part two and we're back for part two, where we've got two additional classic gore features from around the world. We got one from the 60s, you know, just one year after Blood Feast. You can already see its influence felt on At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul. <laughs> I was completely wrong about who was going to be taking whose soul at midnight. It, it is kind of a surprise that it's not uh, Coffin Joe who's taken souls. Although it does make it weird that there's more films in the series with the way this ends. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious as to how that's going to play out. <laughs> I am really looking forward to digging into these because this one's a blast. Uh, so it's 1964, directed by Jose Mojica Marins, who is also uh, the guy who plays uh, Coffin Joe. Oh, okay, okay. So a lot of the films, my understanding is like only three of the films are Coffin Joe movies. The rest of them, he's just, he is synonymous with Coffin Joe. He's sort of this cultural figure and it's like movies made starring Coffin Joe, but are not part of the Coffin Joe series. Oh, I see. Mm. Like, um, I'm trying to think of a modern day example and the best I can come up with is if you cast Paul Rubens in something today, you would He's mark it as Pee Wee Herman. Basically. I mean, well, sadly, maybe, maybe Pee Wee is Paul deceased. Maybe, but uh, oh. I, I mean, I've seen Paul Rubens in stuff where he isn't Pee Wee, but he's so known as Pee Wee. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's similar. I mean, obviously, a very different sort of character. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a similar sort of vibe where he is a cultural icon as Coffin Joe. So when he's in other stuff, I mean, it's a Coffin Joe movie, even though it's not part of the Coffin Joe series. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I I had no idea what to expect with this character. I didn't know what kind of... Well, first, I wasn't even sure if he was going to be a monster. I thought when the intro has him directly talking to the camera, I thought he was going to be a presenter of a horror movie story. He's totally got a horror host sort of energy to him. He he very much feels like a classic horror host. Mm. Like, I, as I, I was saying while you were watching it, it's like if there were a slasher movie where Dr. Demento was offing people. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, this is interesting because it's got two introductions of people <laughs> talking to the camera. Well, the other one's uh, sort of a warning. A long, 
Yeah. I love that. And, and the long opening sequence before we finally start the movie proper. It's heavily padded for being a movie that's quite short. Like it's it's a movie less than 90 minutes and there's like a solid 10 there's, minutes of intro first. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of sequences that are maybe a bit longer than they needed to be, but kind of works. I, I actually enjoyed this movie a lot more on a second viewing than on the first. I like it a lot. I think it's pretty great. Yeah, uh, once once I had once I had seen it and watched it again and realized what type of character Coffin Joe would be, and more importantly, what would happen to him, uh, it made <laughs> it more bearable to watch him bullying all these other people when I knew that he was actually going to get his. It, yeah, it's weird because he's the main character, and it kind of seems like he. I mean, there, he's obviously not heroic in any way. He's super no. bad, uh, but you know he's so fun to watch. Like he's he's a bad guy, but he's very compelling. You know he, he's very entertaining to watch. Be a bad guy. Mm -hmm. uh, in this one, at least, I don't know if he gets supernatural powers later. Well, he would have to later, <laughs> but in this one, I, I feel like he doesn't have any. His whole power is just that he's. Uh, a scrappy asshole and nobody knows what to do about that well the whole, his whole power is that he's awake you know we're waking <laughs> up people all around the world uh he, he's not a sheeple he's not a sheeple like all you fucking catholics out there that that's his thing he he's he's defining himself against catholicism in almost everything he does like the the meat thing, the eating raw lamb all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his best friend even comments on that as like, it's cool that you don't believe in God and all that, but it feels like your whole life is built around pissing off people who do believe in God. It, it's it's it, like, it is, yeah. Yeah. It's extremely performative. I, I like it, it I, I he is a Crowleyan Satanist in the like yeah. the very strong do what thou wilt. You know, he, oh, he yes. does not want to have to follow church rules. And that's maybe the most central facet of his character, other than wanting uh to have progeny. <laughs> the continuation <Yeah>. of blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, his his intro when he when he starts the film, is he's like, what is life but the beginning of death? What is death but the end of life? And this is basically his entire philosophy. He's a proto-Tyler Durden in that regard. Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he is a very philosophical character. Uh, but yeah, he is a Crowleyan Satanist who is deeply Catholic. Like, yeah. Catholicism is baked into everything he does. He... He clearly believes in Catholicism, but has actively set himself as someone against it while still completely believing all of it to be real. Yeah, yeah. He He's one of those guys who's like, I believe in the devil and I'm going to be his best pal. Yeah. Like, again, very Crowleyan, uh, Alistair Crowley. And yeah, he believes that the purpose of life is to – like the whole point of being alive – Procreation. To the exclusion of everything else is procreation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to continue your bloodline. Although he also believes in being fucking rad and just doing cool <laughs> shit and you know, freaking yeah. the squares and yeah. you know, telling the <laughs> Pope the who's of, boss. <laughs> what's the point of being better than everyone if you don't get to flaunt it, right? Exactly. They all I, need to know I'm more intelligent. Right, because he's absolutely not an atheist, but he does have that same sort of 
energy of like the performative atheist who's like he's obsessed with catholicism it's the only thing he thinks about but as an antagonist <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the the second intro is this gypsy who i love her yeah uh she she's also talking to the camera and is also a character who appears in the film <laughs> well yeah I, it is my favorite like th- this was where i knew i loved the movie on my first watch because as soon as like she busted in like don't watch this movie you'll never be able to unsee it it's evil <laughs> like all oh, these rules <laughs> leave the cinema now <laughs> but if you want to prove a courage that doesn't exist then stay, stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because later on, she'll be in the movie, and she'll be like, yeah. "I, I can't make you pay because I, I have already pronounced your death." <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem fair. Yeah. I mean, I even did the whole cackling, laughing thing. I can't make you pay. Just like, ah, it's in the rules. I, you know, <laughs> you. you yeah. You don't pay if I tell you you're going to die. <laughs> so Coffin Joe himself uh, has a job and he's, he's a working man. As far he's as an I undertaker. He's yeah. the Coffin Joe. Yeah. 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 He builds the coffins. He digs the graves. He maintains the graveyard. Uh, and he has nothing but disdain for the people who, uh, well, everyone. Yeah, he hates everybody. He thinks everybody yeah. sucks. He, he thinks they're all idiots. Because uh, they're all fools. They're they're following these religious rules that who's going to stop him? He's out there messing with shit and nobody's stopping him. It's only giving him more power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we find the kind of character he is right away. He's like, oh, man, all these people at the funerals, but they're crying. I should charge them double if they cry. Yeah. It's, it's such a waste of my time. I, I don't like listening to that. Yeah. And he's like, Coffin Joe, you're a jerk. I'm like, sue me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, I'm the only business in town, which I guess he is. There's nobody else who's doing it. He's like, not only is he the grave digger, he's every, like, he's the entire death industry in this town. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's even creating the death soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, even, he literally says, like, hey, if I kill somebody, I'm charging you double for doing their Undertaker stuff. Yeah, which is like, man, swagger. That's uh... that's what I love about his character is he's just so fully convinced of himself at all times. He's like the Beyonce of horror hosts. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, totally. Uh, I love how his house has all these just hands on the wall that nobody ever mentions. Yeah, but he's just... always hanging his... That's his decor. Yeah. Which is pretty uh, cool. Honestly, I, I'm into that. That's a good design aesthetic, especially if oh, you're totally. an undertaker. Uh, oh, yeah. And he has an iconic look, too. He's got like a he's got a top hat. He's not a huge guy. He's actually kind of a small guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got like this excellent beard. Perfect. It, it is very satanic kind of classic, uh, classical Satan beard. And his long, gross fingernails, ew. Oh, <laughs> ew, yeah. Yeah, and his cape that he always, like, he's always got his hands on his hips so that his cape is, like, billowing out. You gotta. He, like, he's all about the image. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
like he he is a built for internet kind of dude he he's like such a modern character in a weird sort of way <laughs> yeah like he would be all over he'd be all over 4chan if if 4chan was around in his time he would he'd make his own 4chan a coffin joe would be active in the men's right activism communities online for sure <laughs> <laughs> these females can't even breed and they want equal rights <laughs> Ugh, I feel like I need a shower just saying that. Yeah, he's he has a lot of incel energy, but like not even incel. He's he just he's all about this progeny thing, and he does not care about women in any other way. Which like, leads no us interest. to wonder. Yeah, why did he marry this woman? So he's married to this girl, uh, Lenita. Lenita, and I think it's just a matter of he expected she would give him children, and then was unable to. I, I do think that's what it is. Yeah. 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 Um, because he hates her. He doesn't yeah. see her as <laughs> completely a despises her. Yeah. Uh, and I believe she's the first victim, right? Um, she's, I think, the first victim that we see. No. Yes, she's the first. Yeah, I believe so. Because it's what starts his thing off. Because He's like, he needs a woman to bear him his child. And he's like, well, I need to be set free from you because you're not yeah. bearing a child for me. Yeah. Well, first, yeah. first he wants to eat. He just got home from a hard day of work. He just wants to eat his meat, but she won't serve right. it to him because it's it's Friday. It's Friday. Not allowed. He can't eat meat. And he's like, what's this can't bullshit? I can go <laughs> yeah. to a thing, take a thing of meat, and I can put it in my mouth. Yeah, I could. I am absolutely capable of doing that thing, and that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, "Well, that's against God." And he's like, "Well, I guess I'm against God then." He's he's doing the the Homer. And he's like, "Well, yeah. I don't want to get up for church." <laughs> oh yeah, th this this guy is totally uh, Homer from that episode. If he didn't learn a lesson and <laughs> yeah. just kept going. He's like, well, even though I've been killed by Satan gorily at the end of this movie, I'm going to continue. <laughs> Still going to find me a woman. So, yeah, he, he makes this whole big deal about getting this thing a lamb and then eating it in front of the whole procession. Like, oh, <laughs> this is so good. Mm. It looks like it's wish... raw. <laughs> I think it is. Because it I does seem to be raw. It. No, because like he can't he's not going to cook it and. He doesn't, he's not going to get any, like, nobody else is going to do it for him because everybody else is a very good Catholic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and he won't do it himself because that's woman's work. That is absolutely woman's work. So, yeah, he just has a raw leg of lamb that he's, like, standing over the, like, he's at a window eating it yep. <laughs> as everybody's yep. passing. He's laughing at them. It's great. <laughs> I'm eating this raw lamb. Oh, man, I'm going to get so much sapodella. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so funny. Like, I, it is the joy he takes in being a dick that makes me love this movie so much. <laughs> it's just the pure yeah. joie de vivre. Like, and what he says to his wife is like, I'm going to eat meat if I have to consume human flesh. I thought he was going to go out and eat one of the, eat a corpse. <laughs> I kind of thought he was. He has access to him. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it just seemed like the logical next step, but no. Uh, he's always eating raw lamb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, like <laughs> lamb specifically is the choice because you know mm -hmm. it, Catholicism. You got the lamb of God and everything. Oh. The flock, the sheep. So, oh, of course, the lamb choice is symbolic. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't even think about that. 
so on his way home or on his way home, he's stalking them on their way home. He mm-hmm. runs into Teresina and Aristides, who is just somebody. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they show up again. Uh, Teresina certainly does. She's no, the yeah. main girl. No, I mean Ar- Aristides. I don't. I don't no, recall I don't the characters. But yeah, he's like, I have emerged from the shadows, all spooky, like that startled you. Let me walk home with the girl. Don't you have something very important to do right now, Aristides? He's like, guess so. He's like, yeah, you're spooky. I guess I'll leave. Uh, yeah, he's he's really into her. He thinks she's going to be the perfect woman since his wife is just not really working out. She's but like, she's... she won't make him meet on Friday. She's not bearing yeah. him a child. What's the what use of her? is she? Yeah. But there's a bit of a nagging problem is that she is married to Antonio, the only person in the fucking world who actually likes Coffin Joe. I think she's his fiance. You're right. That's what it is. Fiance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as soon as the dude leaves her, he immediately tries to rape her and yeah. she bites his lip. And he's like, every time he tries to rape her and she defends herself, he's like, you are a snake, a demon from the pit of hell. Yeah. How dare you defend yourself? And he's like, look, I'm dating your only friend. Chill, get, get out of here. I <laughs> love Antonio. He's my yeah. guy. Yeah, he's, he seems like a good dude, and you don't. Antonio is very weird. Like, I don't get yeah. his deal, like, how he enjoys Coffin Joe's company. How did Because he seems like friends? such a normal dude. Yeah, yeah, and, and, like... I have to assume it's like a Begbie thing in Trainspotting. They just grew up together. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. Went to the same Catholic school. <laughs> so we catch up to... Uh... The rest of our townsfolk at the bar, where Coffin Joe just loves to show up and just terrorize everybody. Hold court. <laughs> yeah, he here he comes and he's like, "Hey, Maria, give me wine. I want to play cards with these guys." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, okay. I guess we'll deal you in." He's like, I, and I'm fine. And yeah, he he's he's stealing all their money. Like he's he's yeah. uh, he's, he's hustling he's like, them. Yeah, he's like, oh, I've got four aces here. And the guy's like, that's I don't know, man. Yeah, that that seems pretty unlikely. And he's like, do you think I'm a liar? And he's like, I'm going to start a big scene. What do you think about that? And then he starts a big scene. Of course. He smashes a bottle on the table, takes the broken bottle, and fucking stabs him down on the dude and severs his goddamn fingers. And we have gore in a black and white 1960 looking film. Right, it it does really harken back to like classic '30s Universal style, uh, but yeah, it is very shocking when he brings the fucking glass down and the the dudes like they 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 put some clay fingers or stuff on him and they they just like shoot off. It's like whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sick. And, <laughs> yep, and he's just like, hey, bring the doctor here. I'm going to pay for the medical bill because I'm such a nice guy. <laughs> And the doctor's like, you are really a nice guy, Coffin Joe. This is also where he's like, yeah, maybe I start killing people and I'm going to charge double for burying them then. I'm the only <laughs> game in town, you jerks. Yeah. Well, the the bald guy pushes him down from his, like when he's sitting down on the chair and it mm-hmm. breaks the chair. And that's when he goes into his uh, Coffin Joe rage. We get like the cool veiny eyes. Oh, yeah, that rules. 
I, I wonder how that's going to look in color. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wonder. Because I know at least the last one in the Coffin Joe series is in color because it came out in 2008. <laughs> Holy shit, this series went till 2008? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, so Goffin Joe just jumps up on the bar and like beats the shit out of this guy and then starts whipping him. Yeah. Yeah. And here he's like, all right, I'm not going to kill him because I have enough work to do. Yeah. He's uh, just going to increase my workload. Nobody else does this. And... <laughs> <laughs> but I'll charge double if you make me kill you. Yeah. You know, you're going to waste my time and I have to off you. And I also have to bury you. Like you're tripling my work, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's where he goes home and he's like, all right, that's it. If I'm the only thing stopping me from hooking up with Teresina is the fact <laughs> that I'm married to Lenita. Not at all true. Is... <laughs> there are so many roadblocks. <laughs> it's she's engaged to his only friend. She doesn't like him. <laughs> uh yeah. Um, he's tried to rape her once already that we've yeah. seen probably, I feel like he does this all the time. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's also a holiday. Like it's specifically some sort of religious holiday. Um, yeah, I think it's still, I think it's still a Holy Friday. Well, we, it, more than that, like it is a specific, like it's an actual holiday rather than it being just Friday. I think I the believe. day of the dead happens later on. Uh, yeah, that does, but I think this, oh, there's oh, a like lot of fucking Catholic oh, holidays. <laughs> that's true. A lot of feasts. But, yeah, uh, yeah so he, this is where he decides, all right, I'm going to kill her with a spider. <laughs> <laughs> and he just has a spider. Of course. of course he does. He's coughing Joe. <laughs> he seems like a dude who'd have spiders. And it's like, all right, wife, you can't bear me a child. It's It's time for you to... Not just time for you to die, you also have to suffer too while it's happening for right. some reason. So it puts a big old tarantula on her. And, mm. and I don't think there was plexiglass between no. them on this one. No, pretty sure it's just, I mean, this is a very low budget movie. <laughs> I mean, they just put a spider on her. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a real spider because uh, you, you see know it what they're using. Yeah, you see it moving around. Yeah, and you know when they're using a fake thing because that fucking owl at the end. <laughs> <laughs> they they have some very fake stuff in this one, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the spider of course bites her. She dies a slow and agonizing death, and the doctor's just like, oh, well, spider bite. What can you do? Yeah, there, there's no way they can prove that he had anything to do with it. Not that he's like making any effort to seem innocent. <laughs> I don't know what happened. She just fell down the stairs and landed on a spider. So uh, he goes to see the fortune teller. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we do have a little bit where he encounters an abusive father first. And he's like, don't abuse your child. Oh, Not yeah. because he's a person or anything, but just because he's the continuation of your life, of your bloodline. Right. It's his whole obsession. He's like, hey, yeah. uh, you know, that's your legacy. Stay away from him. I'm just imagining him being like, well, can I hit my wife instead? Of course you yeah, can. Absolutely. She's your property. Uh, <laughs> you know, your progeny. Like, I, I don't believe in child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one Do, you thing. Think he Do you think he believes in abusing other people's children, though? Mm, I think he's okay with it. I mean, it depends. If they mouth off to him, for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> 
they have to become involved in Coffin Joe's bullshit for it to be an issue. Like he's not randomly going after just anybody. It's it's yeah. always people who talk back to him or cause a problem for him or make more work or, for him or or who don't just let him bully them right you know there's also the problem of anyone who is a woman <laughs> that yeah, is well, that yeah. is a pretty big issue yeah yeah um <laughs> but uh, in the fortune telling bit we we see our gypsy from the beginning i love her yeah like i said great just that she she foretells his death and she's like you don't have to pay uh it's it's the rules <laughs> of the house <laughs> yeah well, first she starts with terezina's death it's like yeah. don't forget who you love and if you do you'll suffer death and misfortune and antonio's like wow that's a bleak fortune is mine going to be better and she's like make peace with your god right now like don't wait <laughs> until you get home tonight <laughs> like wow uh tough He's like, what? What about you? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and and then, and then she looks at Coffin Joe because, of course, he's tagged along. And is like, you're going to suffer for all your crimes. And he's like freaking out. He's like, I don't believe in this shit. Which I'm not is crazy. For anything. He, he absolutely believes in this oh, shit. Yeah. Like he's like supernatural things are a hoax. And like you believe in the supernatural. You're the you are more Catholic than anyone else here. It's just you've decided <laughs> to become a Catholic supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> and, and later that night, yeah, yeah, the gypsy's like, okay, look. I just predict, foretold that you're going to die tonight. I can't take your money. I can't take your money. You can just go. I, I told all of you you're going to die. It's just not right. <laughs> I even, I'll, uh, but I'll throw in a, a wicked cackle, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She has a great cackle. An excellent cackle. Classic. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at uh, Antonio's house. Yeah, they they go to, to Antonio's house, and of course, uh, uh, Coffin Joe murders Antonio. <laughs> He's <laughs> in the least... way. Well, yeah, I mean, he can't he can't marry uh, Teresina if she's got a fiance. Not going to work out. So he and he murders him. Plus, Antonio keeps calling about for his bogus religious beliefs, <laughs> right. while also saying like, "Hey, I like believing in God, man." Right. He's like, I, I, you know, I get some, I get sort of a satisfaction out of my spirituality. Like, that's bullshit. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> and it, it is weird because he's his only friend. He's the only one who's willing to give him the time of day. It's like he's yeah. trying to make him a better person. I'm like, I, I refuse. You must die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, he bashes him in the head and then drowns him in the bathtub. It's very bloody in the bath. Yeah, you know, we're we're doing early gore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at the funeral, Terezina just screams at him, "Murderer! Murderer!" Because she and knows wonder, it's obviously him. Well, I wonder if she, if the reason she was able to figure it out is because he charged double for this crime or for oh, this, maybe, maybe. For this funeral. Because <laughs> again, he is never making any attempt to pretend to be innocent like no he won't tell them that he did it but it's not like he's like <laughs> i was like oh i don't know what could have happened i'm i'm so shocked he's like, <laughs> he's dead now <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so he, he buys a canary 
Yeah, he buys the canary forcefully from the bartender. Is like, how much for the canary? It's not for sale. This is my pet. No, I'm buying the canary. Sell me the canary or I'll fucking do some spaz out shit again. I thought he was going to eat it. <laughs> I thought so too. Because he's like, yeah, I want to eat the canary. Sell me the canary. But he, he goes and takes the canary to Terezina. And this is like the, the craziest scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he's like, I brought you a canary, and she's like, thanks, bye. It's like, great, I don't really want that, and like, uh, you're you're my woman now, and like, I, I'm afraid that is not the case. How, how can you treat me this way after all these gifts I brought you? <laughs> Why don't you want to be with a nice guy like me? <laughs> yeah, he, he's got that kind of energy, and so he attacks her, and... He rapes her. He he rapes her, and during the rape, she squeezes the canary to death. Mm-hmm. Which he just throws at her when he's done. It's like, you're bearing my child now. Right. And, she's and like, she says, I'm well, kill I'm going to myself. Yeah, I'm obviously going to kill myself. I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, bury your child. And then I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. <laughs> And he's like, ha, 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 no, you won't. And then obviously she does. <laughs> yeah, she's like, at midnight, I'll take your soul. Hell yeah. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> and, and yeah, his reaction is like, I'm going to haunt you and kill you and all that. His reaction is, yeah, that's what they all say. Yeah, like they all tell me they're going to haunt the shit out of me. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and then we get Joe screaming at the spirits in the graveyard like, ah, if you guys really are real, strike me down. Come on, <laughs> debate me. I'd like to see God show me that he's real right now. Yeah, he's he's definitely doing the internet atheist kind of thing, but he is such a believer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, she goes home, she kills herself, but she doesn't say anything about him. Yeah, she just makes kind of like a generic suicide note. And Joe is troubled by this. He's like, wow, I didn't think she'd actually do it, and she didn't label me as the killer what do i do with this well it's a surprising chess move it's like huh well that seems very intentional <laughs> she's she's playing some chess with me and like maybe she knows more than i do because like there's some supernatural stuff going on here maybe she is gonna haunt me yeah yeah uh, but the worst thing about all of this is now nobody's gonna bear his child oh he's gonna have to find another lady to attack yeah. <laughs> and that is the worst part of it uh but finally someone's like I'm pretty sure Coffin Joe's doing all of these murders. <laughs> <laughs> it's the doctor. He yeah. requests another autopsy, and then Coffin Joe just shows up at his house and is like, hey, I have a right to read these reports too, you know? And the doctor's like, you actually don't. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't think that there's anything about that. You're the undertaker. You don't need to know about the medical science behind these deaths. And like, I think I'm going to take your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he three stooges them. Yeah. Like, well, he's like got his, his super, super long, long fingernails. fingernails. Yeah. So, yeah, he gouges out the dude's eyes and then lights them on fire. Kaboom. I'll teach him. I'll teach him to look into the deaths. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, then just the sort of we cut forward in time to the Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. The Day of the Dead is happening. Uh, he's harassing the people at the bar as usual. He finds this new lady who he's like, oh, she could be my my perfect woman <laughs> yeah lady from out of town um she wants to get escorted to this house and everyone's like well no it's the day of the dead is too late um uh, 
just stay here. Nobody in this town is going to take you over to there. I'll do it. It's like, I'll do it, of course. (laughs) Unless any of you is brave enough to. And they're all like, yeah, because they believe in the Day of the Dead. They don't want it best with that. Exactly. So the the woman's like, okay, well, you seem really nice and not at all terrifying. I'll go with you. He's like, he seems very friendly. He's so outgoing. (laughs) Yeah. And on the way to her house, they're stopped by the gypsy who's like, you're going to encounter all this shit and it's the devil. (laughs) It's like, this is the night I foretold. Get ready. He's like, oh, no, I don't like that. And <laughs> yeah. When you hear the wind in the leaves, it's the devil. When a black cat crosses your path, the devil. The devil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah. When you hear footsteps behind you, but there's no one there. Oh, you better believe that's the devil. <laughs> you better believe that's a paddling. Uh, but yeah, and at midnight, the devil will take your soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, and all the ghosts of the people he's uh, committed crimes against, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after he drops her off, he's like, I better not go in. Your aunt, the person who lives at this house, uh, she doesn't get along with me. Yeah, she knows me. She knows I suck. I, I could very easily get blamed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's he goes back and he's wandering around in the woods and all the horrible shit that she's that the gypsy has predicted begins happening and he's freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Every ghost of everybody he's uh, dealt with in this movie is uh, after him. Yeah. I love when like he's stopping to catch his breath and like suddenly the ghost of Antonio shows up. He's like, want a light? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's fucking cool. Uh, Which I kind of think, yeah, Lynch probably knows this movie. Yeah, that's what it made me think of. Like, mm-hmm. got a light. Got a light. It, it's very much like that. And like, it, it is kind of a weird, eerie moment. So he runs and he goes to the mausoleum and like, oh, I, I better make sure they're dead because I don't really believe in the supernatural stuff. No, no, not at all. Uh, let's just make sure they're not pulling a trick on me. <laughs> and he opens up the coffins, and sure enough, they're they are dead as fuck. There's bugs coming out of their faces. Ew. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, there's a super fake owl flying towards him at one point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it is the fakest owl. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it, it really proves how real the spider was earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he sees that they're dead, but he's still being haunted by the ghost. So he screams himself to death. Yeah, and the, the villagers come and find him, and his eyes are sticking out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> and his face is all wrecked. Like, it's, oh, it's yeah. all meaty. And that's the end of Coffin Joe. Or is it? For now. Uh, <laughs> that's the back. end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, it rules. I fucking love it. It's so goofy. but I, I, I like it. Um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot better when I realized that yeah, he is going to get what's his. Cause that he would I, get I comeuppance, found, yeah. Yeah, I found the bullying scenes uncomfortable the first time. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. But, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. <laughs> I love his, like, over-the-top, super Crowleyan Satanist atheism. 
Yeah, it's great. He's got such a unique energy to him. He's like so Catholic, but he's using that as the basis for his Satanist interest. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. I'm looking forward to checking out more of these. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it did seem like a very conclusive ending. So at the Yeah, end, I was he's... like, how the hell did they make so many more? He is quite dead at the end. Uh <laughs> But so we have an additional uh, picture here this week is Sentet. It's a 1988 film from Siswaro Gautama Putra, uh, an Indonesian film. Uh, same guy who did Shrigala, that weird uh, Friday the 13th knockoff. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. You have not, but it's like an Indonesian movie and there's like... A solid hour before it turns into a Friday the 13th knockoff where there's like <laughs> someone who wears a mask and they have like a speedboat fight and shit. And then the last half hour is just note for note, scene for scene, the end of Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, this movie I couldn't figure out the vibe of first because it starts with a horrific hate crime, but the rest of the movie is... kind goofy of funny and goofy <laughs> very silly uh yeah uh, like the, the, almost the... like the kakabakabakaba of horror films almost uh, yeah there there is a uh weird energy to it like you you need a major inciting incident for all of the haunting and uh supernatural revenge to come but you know the stuff that happens at the start it's like wow this is really messed up and our main guy is so gross Oh, Bisman. <laughs> Bisman. <laughs> yeah, he's when 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 I first started watching the movie, I had to stop because I was laughing for 20 minutes straight <laughs> of how much Bisman looked like IRL Wario. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Wario. He looks like Bluto from Popeye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um like his face uh this guy must have gone through some shit he's, yeah he's got a very like it, it's it's not unlike um acne scars but it is like every inch of his face oh yeah and he's yeah. got a huge bulbous nose like wario and it's got like <laughs> yes. waffle texture it looks crazy oh man it's yeah th th he is a he is a gross looking dude he he's very intense looking it's a whole lot of face yeah yeah and, and he dresses super flamboyantly too like like at one point he dresses up like a pirate mm -hmm. uh, uh sometimes he, he dresses up like a like a dictator or uh, right because he sort of is running this town even though he's just a dude who owns a bar yeah he's well he owns the bar but he's also the criminal underworld guy of this right yeah Well, tiny yeah. ass little town all of the crime runs through his bar so he's kind yeah. of got his thumb in every pie but uh it, he is not unlike coffin joe in his uh in his desires like again he's killing his wife at the start yep there, there's actually yeah I, there's a lot of similarities between him and coffin joe including uh their arcs mm -hmm. like we uh, both have him uh like it's they kill their wives and then they kill a dude and then they uh go they rape that guy's uh wife or in, in this case like yeah. in this case it's or the try wife. to oh, time it was the fiance yeah attempts yeah 
Uh-huh. And then they mess with supernatural forces that they shouldn't be messing around with, and they get got. They get their fucking comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this one um, we're spending a lot more time with the supernatural forces. Yeah, yeah. And, and Bismon, mercifully, is not our main character. <laughs> and we've got Susanna <laughs> as Katemi. Oh, I I like her. Mm-hmm. Susanna is like a major Indonesian star. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a pretty big deal. I, I think she is also the star of the next one of these. She she is. Uh, the next one is a continuation of this. It has yeah. Katemi and, uh, oh, the guy. I've got his name somewhere. Right. And a, a, in instead of an alligator, uh, it's a tiger lady this time, yeah. I think. Oh, oh I've, no, I've read the back. She becomes the tiger lady. Katemi nice. does. Nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and and she's, she becomes the monster ripping people apart. Mm-hmm. I'm into uh, it. So, yeah. So, so we've got, uh, but we start with Bismond's bar, which is just, it's, it's a shack. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's shack. a shack. It's a shack in the jungle. Like, this is a village. Like, this is a jungle village that is not, like, I, I don't think it has a name. It's not even like something on the map. <laughs> uh, it has a name, but I didn't write it down. Uh, it has three cops, hmm. <laughs> two of which, well, one of which is completely useless, uh, one of which is going to be a victim, and one of which is just a cop. Yeah, he's, he's the one who sort of is uh, about like one step behind the whole movie. Yeah, um, but no, really, really, Bismarck is already in charge. He's got this whole sex slavery thing going. Uh, presumably he's into drugs. He definitely runs a brothel out of his bar that... All the authorities know about, but they can't do anything about it because there's only three of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's only three, and he's got like this whole gang. Yeah, they, they're in a very tiny town. Uh, it, it is uh, just it's it's sort of like a criminal village almost. Yeah. Except there's a mission, uh, and what I've never seen before in a movie, an Islamic mission. Yes, and they are. And the Islamic priests are unequivocally the good guys of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, I mean, the the cleric who gets burned alive very early on in the movie. Well, yeah, him. Uh, he, yeah, he is completely innocent. Yeah, which, it, it is a hate crime. <laughs> it is a hate crime. Yes. Um, yeah. So Bisbon has a sick wife who's all like, "How long are you planning to burden me with your sickness?" Right. It is the very similar issue where it was like, man, I want to get laid and you are not giving out because you've been sick for a while. Uh, Get over this so you can start fucking me again. Uh, But then he decides to just poison her to death so he can move on to the wife of the cleric because he thinks she's pretty hot. Yeah. But, you know, she wasn't really poisoned, though. It was black magic. And Bismarck's like, oh, yeah, it was definitely black magic by uh, the priest there. That that guy. Yeah, Source, it was a, trust me, bro. Or was a false flag. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he he gathers together an angry mob and they go kill. They they drag him out in front of a bunch of children yep. <laughs> who are, they, he's teaching. They yeah, set him on fire. Yeah, they douse him in gasoline and set him on fire. This is this is where our movie begins, and it like, ends with a Dragon Ball Z fight against a crocodile. Yeah, like after brutally beating him, and then then they yeah. like drag him out into the middle and they set him on fire, and he's clearly like 
uh, a puppet that can do two motions because it just keeps doing the motion on fire. Yeah, but <laughs> good burning still, puppet. No, the, still, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very harsh because it is just it's like hard wow. to watch. It's it's very intense and is like very real. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's there's not much silliness to it yet. Uh, no. And then <laughs> Bismon goes and attacks the wife. <laughs> Yep, uh, but she escapes after she like twists his junk around and then runs off. <laughs> yeah, gets into the forest where she's gonna meet Nye Anchor. Uh, Anchor. Yeah. The I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but she is a crocodile with a woman's head. Rules. I love this. <laughs> this is great. And, and I mentioned the art on the poster last week. Mm-hmm. The real thing looks way better than the artwork makes it look like it's going to be. And yeah, I thought I mean, it was going to be the opposite of that. Fair, because I mean, low budget stuff. And it looks yeah. silly, but it's still like, it's kind of effective. Like, ah, it I love it. It's a lady with, yeah. the, it's a crocodile with a lady's head. <laughs> I mean, the concept is silly, so it's okay if it looks silly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's like, hey, listen, uh, I know you're the wife of a priest and all that, but I'm going to teach you black magic so that you can get revenge on that freaking asshole. And she's and like, she's... I don't know. I don't feel good about doing black magic. And it's like, you'll like it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, he I guess I could just, give it a try. <laughs> did just burn my husband alive in the middle of the square. He's like, come on, who knows? You all know Bizman is just waiting for it. Like, let's do this. I'm like, I guess I have to. So she's got to do three things first before she can get black magic powers. She has to steal side quests. Eat. Yep, uh, steal and <laughs> need eat a placenta. A placenta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so maybe... big. Oh <laughs> when yeah, she gets it. It's huge. <laughs> uh, bathe in a crocodile-filled river for a full day and night, and yep. then uh, walk naked through town under the light of a full moon. Yeah, and she does all of those things. Someone even gets killed when she's in the crocodile water. Oh yeah, two of Bismond's goons are like, "Hey, that's Katemi over there." The check it out. Let's go after her. And like, I think the boss likes her. I don't care. And so they <laughs> they get in the water, and the crocodiles eat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got like two freaking. It's like that scene from Jaws where like just the kid goes under, then just red yeah. blurbling up above but there's two of them right beside her as she's like calmly serenely meditating in the water (laughs) it's fountains of blood water next to her it's so great (laughs) it's awesome (laughs) it's like that Uh, is a show of power that her revenge has begun even though she's still doing her trials mm -hmm. Uh, as she's doing her trials we of course cut back to bisman apparently having no opposition anymore setting up his sex slavery thing no Uh, yeah, he's a lot of scenes of him doing that. Just typical stuff like, oh, well, you can't pay me what you owe. I'll take your daughter and all that. Mm. And there's also the police very slowly trying to do something, but there's not a lot that they are capable of doing. Yeah, because, you know, the whole town believes in Bismond's black magic story. And the cops yeah. are like, I don't think it's black magic, but I also don't think anyone's going to be able to help to tell us anything yeah we're outnumbered there's very little we can do here uh this is an all crime town (laughs) yeah (laughs) so bisman 
takes the bodies of his two goons who got mulched by the crocodiles and throws them to the chief and is like, this is what Katemi did with her black magic. The police chief is like, look, we have courts, we have laws, we <laughs> yeah. shouldn't just let the angry mob decide everything. And but Bismont's he disagrees. Like, Bismont's like, but the angry mob works with me. I like the angry mob style. I'm sticking with the angry mob. Yeah, he, he literally says, like, maybe this one time, just this once, we should let an angry mob handle it. <laughs> yeah, maybe this time we do it my way, just like we have always done. Uh, so he 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 gears up his mob again. Yeah, he, he's also hired this uh, this um, uh, shyster, or not shyster, huckster salesman uh, mm. to sell like anti-black magic talismans. <laughs> One, to make money, and two, to whip up the fear against the black magic. Yeah. And yeah, he's working for Bismon. It's, it's this whole thing. He wants to get everybody afraid of black magic. He's got a, a full scam going. He He's selling his tactical baths. Yeah. <laughs> Water purification yeah. system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now it's time for Katemi to walk naked through the village. Yeah. Uh, where she's being uh, pursued by the two cops, Bokira Dorman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorman is the normal guy. Bokir is a fucking idiot. Yeah, he, um, he is he is just a comedic character. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they they follow her for a bit. I love that as she's walking through town, it's got like this proving funky beat that plays, but it's only like a five second long loop of music. I kind of love the music in this. I do yeah. too. I think I think a lot of it is probably just borrowed from other sources, but oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. It's it kind of jams all, all the time. Mm-hmm. They finally find her in an outhouse, but oh my god, it's actually Bokir's wife, and Katemi <laughs> just teleported away at some point. Right, Bokir's oh. very like angry, and I think she's an older woman. She's like, oh, you, you, you thought I was a ghost? What the hell? <laughs> Very silly. Like, everything surrounding Bokir is comedy, even though most of this movie doesn't really have a comedy flavor. Yeah, but Bokir is in enough of this movie that it kind of changes the vibe of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it gets sillier and sillier as it moves on. It, it does, yeah. Like, like we've, we've already seen the harshest thing that this movie's going to show us. We're going to see some cool gore, but nothing that's going to make us go like, ooh... They're lighting an Islamic priest on fire. Right. Everything from this point forward is just revenge, and it's all gold. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, right. When Katemi first meets the witch, she makes her legs bubble up and... Oh, that's so gross! Just snakes busting out of all her veins. That's the grossest thing. And then they sort of do it a couple times later. They do do a few variations of it. Like, none of them are quite as shocking as that first one. Uh, So... Failing to catch Katemi, she now has all of her black magic, but the uh, chief's son, Pramuja, who is also a priest, has arrived back in town from wherever he was. Mm-hmm. And Bismon is like, all right, now is time to get rid of the chief and make me the chief. And the goons are like, well, what about the chief's son? He's got, like, magical religion powers. We should <laughs> maybe be worried about that. And it's like, I don't know. You guys figure it out. That's what I'm paying you for. 
this was kind of it, it, it was very interesting to see something that finally had like oh well he's got god powers though because he's religious yeah we, which is something that we've never seen like through all of those uh ormond films they're always like well i mean satan's got all of these dangerous powers they have to watch out for but you just have to believe in god god can't give you any kind of powers here yeah. it's like well you know god gives you some important powers you should believe in them. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and <laughs> I mean, they even say like, hey, God power is enough. Like the witches are like, hey, God power is enough to defeat black magic, but nothing else is. So right. be afraid of the God power. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's like much more powerful than Satan power. And like, wow, it's completely <laughs> yeah. the opposite of how uh, all of the uh, Ormans uh, uh, yeah, basically. set it out. Mm -hmm. So uh, next night, Dorman and Bokir are patrolling again. This time, Bokir, or yeah, Bokir gets quote unquote seduced by Katemi, and this whole sequence is so weird. Uh, so she lures him out into the forest where he's fondling her, and her tit comes off. <laughs> Just separates. <laughs> Squirts him in the face with breast milk. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> she takes off her head and shows it to him. Um, but by this point, he is stripped down to everything except for his comedically gigantic shorts. They're like, it, it's like a Beetlejuice gag. Like all, all of her little things. It's like she's, it she's is... understudy to Beetlejuice. Oh my God. It is so Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> and like he's running away and his shorts get caught on a nail. So like they snap forward like an accordion. Oh, and they're so incredibly big. Like they're, they're so, so long. <laughs> he's, it's like he's wearing several shower curtains sewn together. And somehow, like it's it's a really elasticy uh, uh, waistband, so it still snaps back together. But it looks like it could surround a vehicle, like you could put it oh, around yeah. a Volkswagen. You know what I think? <laughs> I'm actually thinking like the skirt for parade floats is what yeah. this guy's shorts is. That could actually be what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after after some uh, Looney Tune shenanigans with him and Katemi. Uh, he encounters Dorman, who's like, what the actual fuck are you doing? I'm finding you naked, sleeping under a chicken coop. And, he's, and Bokir just breaks into this musical number. Right, about... he does a song. I love the song, by the way. Oh, it's a great song. It is. <laughs> it, it's incredible. And, and about how he's a good man, but it sucks that nobody believes him because he's unemployed, which he is employed. He is employed. Cop. Yeah, the, the the lyrics make zero sense at all. I think it's just an existing song that they had. I think so, too. Because <laughs> it comes back later, too, doesn't it? They do, like, a snippet of it again? Well, the next the next scene um, at Bismond's place, a remix or a cover of this song right. is playing in the background while they're That's partying. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I kind of think that it's not outright stated, but I kind of feel like maybe Katemi's magic made him break out into the song to distract the entire village because everybody gets into his song and dance. It felt it had the flavor of an inside joke to me. Like, I, I oh. have to figure that this song must have been really famous at the time or this was a joke song or it was like the, there was some kind of special association. Maybe it's something that 
the actor Bokir had done before. Oh, Cause maybe. it immediately, like it is such a weird out of nowhere thing. It felt like, you know, a family guy reference gag that you've suddenly gone into and like, we're just oh, doing yeah, a music like, video for the song. Like, this is strange. <laughs> like the family guy reference gags that just keep going. And it's like, is this what the episode is now? Yeah. I was like, uh, what, what are we doing here? I don't remember how we got here. For uh, a but yeah. of 10 minutes, Bokir is the main character. <laughs> yeah. And it's very strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he ends in a Rambo outfit, uh, with mm -hmm. like a sign that says Rambo 4 starring Bokir. <laughs> As like he's being crowd surfed away. Because he's Dor doing a musical sequence. <laughs> it's so wild. <laughs> and Dorman is just following him and doesn't seem to be acknowledging that this is his current partner. Yeah, it, it I is, don't know. Well, like I say, it really feels like it has to be some sort of inside gag. I really think yeah. there is some cultural reference that we're missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, song's great, though. <laughs> oh, it bangs. I love it. <laughs> like if, it, if it is like a cultural thing or is like a really huge hit there, I get it. It rocks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back at Bismond's place, <laughs> Katemi, this is the frog. Oh, yeah. she has this frog in the palm of her hand and she just kind of blows it like she's blowing a kiss mm. and then the frog disappears and then this one guy his fucking nutsack is just <laughs> swelling and exploding and he's down on the ground like oh my god my nutsack <laughs> the frog does an alien chest burster thing out of the dude's nutsack <laughs> The frog rips out of his balls yeah i like the the level of uh stuff bursting out of stuff is is always really gross in this movie oh, yeah. Just every time they do it I'm like wow this is oh, so unique like the, the it effects is, are I've, so gross the the effects for the stuff bursting out is always very effective and like way more effective than any other effects we've seen in the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely, it's just it's the most specific thing in this. Like that's the thing that really gives this a unique stamp because I've never seen it before. Oh, the the crocodile lady's transformation sequence is pretty good too. It's good, yeah. Whereas Bismond's is much not so much. <laughs> Bismond's is awful. <laughs> so so the whatever of Bismond's goons who are still alive are uh, no, understandably upset after seeing a frog bust out of the dude's junk, and Bismond's like, "Listen, guys." Black magic is fake news that I created to kill people I don't like. Yeah, and it's, it's like not but real. It's, but you've made it real. It's it's like he he did some kind of magical ritual. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> the now frog it's coming back thing on. Was because of an STD. It's a sexually transmitted frog. STF. Because <laughs> he's because he slept with all these guys or girls. You see, <laughs> you got a sexually transmitted frog. Yeah, uh, yeah, co completely bizarre. And the guys are like, I don't know, man. We're starting to turn against you. Yeah, is is this when she transforms him, starts to make him into a beast man, uh, or is that a little bit later? Yeah, that's a little bit later. They yeah. they still have to kill the chief first because two goons have to fake defect. Right. They're like, oh yeah, we don't like Bizbond. We we want to confess all of his crimes so that you can arrest him, chief. We don't like his nose. 
Yeah, it, we're we're definitely gonna be very convincing goons, and then. Yeah, uh, but first, drink we, this singular cup of coffee that we will not drink out of. Yeah, uh, I, I, we already know he's a poisoner. Like they yep. know he's a poisoner. They know he poisoned his wife. They can't prove it, but they know he did it. Yeah, but of course, the chief drinks the fucking coffee and dies exactly the same way as the wife did. Yeah, exactly right the same because it's the exact same poison. Yeah, like right down to the same. <laughs> disgusting green and red goo coming out <laughs> i feel like that has to have been inspired by deranged when uh, when he's trying to shovel the soup back into her mouth as oh, she's puking yeah. blood it is similar to that i was thinking maybe just exorcist because oh uh, that could be too you get the pea soup uh the the vomit in that but yeah it's it's very gross they're they're vomiting up blood and green stuff and it's really disgusting uh and then he sort of just fills the power vacuum yeah month. at the chief's funeral he's like all right well i guess i should be the chief now right does anyone <laughs> agree with me that i should be chief and for a very 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 long time nobody says anything and he's like no don't really agree with that but he's the only one who's got backup yeah he, so. he looks at his goons he's like after about five minutes of this, he's like, come on, guys. Hey, hey like, goons. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we vote Bismon, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, all right, I'm the acting chief now. This is great. And Pramuja, the chief's son, that the priest who hasn't really done anything yet, is staying behind after everybody's left and praying over the grave. And Katemi approaches him and is like, you know, your father actually was a really good dude and didn't deserve any of this. Yeah. And Pramuja's like, wait, aren't you that witch, though? So is Black Magic fake news or what's going on here? And she disappears into the woods. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Black Magic is real. Yeah, obviously. But so's God Magic. So is God Magic. And he has a dream about finding her in the forest while hunting and then fucking her and then uh, biting off her tit. And then she shoots him with an arrow. Yeah, weird uh, shit. Just a lot of strange imagery. You know, it's it's strange. Like, wasn't he's the son of the cleric? Wasn't she the wife? Isn't she his mom? No, no, no. He's the son of the village chief who just or the, oh, the village chief. Right. Not yeah. the cleric. Of course. No. No. Right. Yeah, well, that would be that would be something. That would be weird. Mm-hmm. Bokir quits being a policeman because he doesn't want to work for Bisman because he finds his nose upsetting. Yeah, fair. And Dorman is like, yeah, no, I get it. I ex- I accept your resignation. That totally makes sense. And Pramuja's like, guys, we need cops. We, no, we we're really down one. Need- we, we we do not have a police force here to begin with. And they're like, yes, I will remain a policeman. It's my duty. Mm-hmm. Norman. So Bisman uh, whips up another angry mob to go after the original witch, the uh, Ankir, uh, yeah. to go over to her shack. And Katemi's there. They're going to burn her down, but uh, Pramuja wire foos up over them and then stands on the roof and is like, hey, guys. Let's not do murder. Let's take her to the proper authorities. Yeah, it's like we we have again. We have courts. We have yeah. law. 
why don't we just uh, not do the mob rule thing? Obviously, Bismuth, he's still all, all about yeah. mob rule. But now that he has the power, he's getting kind of cocky. Yeah, he's like, well, all right, you took him to the proper, or you took her to the proper authorities, but that's me, so I still get what I want, whatever. Yeah. And he tries to rape Katemi again, and this is where he gets his werewolf transformation. Right, he it's, transforms. It's only his face and his hands. Uh, well, he gets a lot more body hair that he keeps trying to rip off. <laughs> right. Because, uh, he looks like he would be a big hairy dude, but he is hairless. That's true, yeah. But he, yeah. he grows a snout and his hands get furry. Like yeah. he gets he gets kind of murder mitts. Yep. And like he's freaking out over it. His goons are freaking out. Uh Katemi runs away and launches two fireballs at him. And like he just lights on fire and he's burning in the street, just like the guy that he killed. Yeah, uh, you know, an exact uh, revenge. She lights him up. <laughs> so Pramuja comes up to Katemi is like, hey, you, so you really are a witch, huh? You, you know that's not cool, right? She's like, I know. And he's like, you know you could repent and everything would be fine again, right? She's like, wait, actually? Yeah, he's like, you, God will forgive anything. You, you can just, like, say you're sorry and then God forgives you. I'm like, oh, well, that's a pretty good loophole. And like Nae Anchor is like, well, that doesn't seem cool. I, I you know, I invested I all this time this. into you. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna have a fucking Dragon Ball Z fight over Katemi's soul. And Pramuja's like, I'm fucking down. I'm like, yeah, fine. I I love fucking religion fights. And he yeah. powers up because he's got god powers. Yeah. She uh she uses her super long lizard tongue. Uh, <laughs> But uh, he he ends up winning, and he explodes her. Yeah, she she uh, she totally blows up, and then Katemi gets like God forgiveness, uh, Ray, and she's like totally fine again. She's supposedly not black magic anymore, but yeah, and they live. We know there's a sequel. Ever... Yeah, <laughs> but at the end of this one, it's implied that they live happily ever after. She did her black magic, but she got it out of her system, and everything's good. She. Didn't kill anyone innocent. Yeah, she she got revenge against the baddies. They needed to die. Yeah, and now she, everybody knew it. Yeah, and now the now she can hook up with the hot guy, and he can hook up with the hot girl, and they're all going to be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, the description for the second movie says uh, the villagers shun. Her. She's trying to live a pious life, but the villagers shun her. What with all the murderous shit that she did in the past. It, yeah, exactly. I mean. It's, it's, gonna come back so the it's apparently the anchors the anchors mentor is gonna come into play in the next one and then katemi is gonna turn into a tiger and start ripping people apart i, I kind of want to watch it right now yeah i'm totally into it uh i i would have watched it this week if uh, if it were uh, at my place <laughs> right 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. all right so any last thoughts on either Santet or at, at midnight, I'll possess your soul before we head on to our finale. Um, no, just they're both great, uh, different versions of kind of the same-ish story. Uh, I really yeah. are similar character, but told in a very different way, at least. Uh, I really dig it. I, I, I dig how that worked out this time. Yeah, I like that they're 
an, an, an interesting array of different horror movies, each from a different country, and they're all like weird gore horror movies, but they're all a completely different flavor. So Rules. Oh, one <laughs> thing I was thinking of, and I almost forgot hmm. to mention, who would win in a fight between uh, Fuad Ramsey's Coffin Joe and, uh, we'll say, Katemi? Hmm. And I mean, I feel Katemi easily takes all of them, but like Coffin Joe... Coffin Joe kicks the shit out of Ramses. It's not even a contest. But only religion can defeat Katemi, and so it's all a matter of how devoted is Fuad Ramses to Ishtar. Mm, they don't say then, which religion. Because, but then we know Coffin Joe is extremely Catholic. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> he claims I, not to be, but it is his thing. I hadn't heard that argument when I was thinking of who would win. Uh, then you presented <laughs> it, I'm like, mm, that throws my whole thing into the yeah. thing. Coffin Joe tries to fuck Katemi. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> and he, then he, you know. But yeah, I think she lights him on fire very yeah. easily. She's very overpowered. <laughs> yeah, she she really is, especially since she's got like. A hot forgiveness husband on her arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I forgive you for killing Coffin Joe. He he could totally would. He's Coffin Joe. He's so anti-religion. That's his thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had thought that the three would kind of balance each other out. That Fuad would kill Katemi. Katemi would rock, kill paper, Joe. scissors. And it doesn't. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way because I think Fuad is less religious than yeah. Coffin Joe. Yeah, I think Fuad is easily defeated by either of them. <laughs> if if uh, there were anyone but those cops up against him, Fuad would not have made it mm. to, like, two weeks of killing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right, Great well. characters. I, I, yeah. I love all of this. This was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I, I love the classic gore because it's such a weird vibe. It's like we're figuring out how to make these movies. We don't like even understand how an audience is going to relate to any of this. We're just throwing shit at the wall. <laughs> like th this thing with the snake on the beach moving away from the brains. <laughs> it's such a weird element that I really love. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. All right. Well, on to part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. Oh, sorry. I'm just looking at the list and I see that a lot of these were near the top of the main stacks. Yeah, I was adventuring this week. I was thinking mm -hmm. like carrying the uh, resolutions into the year with me. We got some stuff near the top. We got... A lot of stuff from a lot of different stacks. Cool, cool. So first up, next one from the Veneer Syndrome Lost Picture Show box is Beware the Black Widow. Ooh. Uh, reminded me a lot of the Michael Findlay Flesh Trilogy, which I talked about Ooh. a little while ago. They were early kind of proto-slasher movies where it's this guy who... Uh, he catches his wife cheating on him and then he freaks out and runs out in the street and gets hit by a car and then he gets revenge against all women comes a slasher right. i think i remember that yeah but, but like heavily in the burlesque realm because it's like a sexploitation they didn't really know how to make a slasher yet <laughs> so this is kind of similar there's a lot of burlesque just a ton of just burlesque dancers doing burlesque dancing uh but the the main plot is there's this 
person who's dressed like a widow and they're murdering mafia members in like New Oh, York or something. okay. Uh, like dressed as a widow, uh, just like a full body, you know, like veil and everything. So nobody's Hmm. been able to see who they are. Uh, and the, it's very obviously to do with like an old country thing that happened, you know, in Sicily. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it was okay. <laughs> I don't know. It was, uh, it, it felt like a less interesting version of Curse of Her Flesh or whatever the first uh, Findlay Flesh one was. All right. Uh, next is Terminator 2 Judgment <laughs> Day. I'm sure you've seen T2. oh, I've definitely seen Terminator 2. I saw it a couple years ago, I think, was the last time. Not that long ago. I love it. I mean, like when I was a kid, it was my favorite movie. Uh, I've, I, I like, it, it was the first movie I watched like 50 or 60 times, Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, I I've read the novelization a bunch of times. I read it a, a lot as a kid. Uh, I was absolutely terrified of the T-1000. Is pretty scary. It's liquid metal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fucking great. It's still a great movie. It's perfect. The aesthetic is incredible. <laughs> Uh, the action is still totally amazing. I think Arnold is great as the Terminator. I think Robert Patrick is great as the T-1000. Uh, I definitely, I remember. Yeah. John Connor, you know, so-so, he's fine. He's all <laughs> right. I thought he was the coolest when I was like 10. Uh, next, we've got The Iron Prefect. <laughs> Uh, this is sort of a Poliziotesky, but uh, as a 20s uh, oh. period piece crime drama. Oh, Benito Mussolini gets involved. Yeah, so there's this. I, I don't know if this guy's like how much this guy's based on reality, uh, but it's sort of. doing the Poliziotesky thing, but looking at it sort of with the critical eye uh, under the actual fascists. <laughs> it was like, Mm. All right. you want the police to have total unfettered control. Here's what, here's the police under the fascists. But it it's this guy who's sent to Sicily to try to root out the mafia because they've just refused to become part of the fascist party. Uh, they... Right. <laughs> it's it's a thing where Mussolini just doesn't like the idea of sharing power with anyone. So he wants to knock off the mafia in Sicily where they've got the biggest stronghold. Hmm, okay. So he sends his best cop and he's going to try to fucking take them down and use whatever tactics he needs to, to do so. Uh, but you know, hard to win hearts and minds when everybody's mafia, uh, And it's it's interesting because like he's fairly moral as a main character, like he's Okay. not he doesn't like the fascists and he's just sort of a dude who is part of that system, but you see him being corrupted by the power he has, and it's also a matter of like the mafia has already infiltrated the fascists, like because they they know that the easiest way to stay uh, clean of them is just to become them and. take part of the, to be part of them on the inside and that's sort of what they quickly do Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about what that's like yeah with governments. interesting right Yeah, never seen that before. uh next we've got a fugitive from the past uh Ooh. this is a very classic crime drama 
uh, from Japan. I, I think like very frequently uh, it's, it says on the back, it was third in the Kinema Junpo magazine's 1990 poll of the top Japanese films. Oh, wow. Okay. Or uh, at least within the 20th century. It was like, it's 1999. Right. So there was only the 20th century in film. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's a <laughs> right. very, it's a very long crime drama. It's, it's three hours long. Oh boy. Uh, and it's not like there's a lot of stuff happening. It's not super dense. Like it is taking place over a pretty long period of time. Cause like hmm. there's a decade gap in the middle or early on, honestly. Uh, and I don't think it's based on a real case, but it's sort of based around some historical things. Okay. Okay. So there's this guy or there's these two guys there. It opens with these dudes running away from having committed a crime. Uh, they've murdered a family, robbed the pawn shop that they work in and set it on fire. And oh. we'll find out later that the fire decimates this entire town. So it's like oh, I see. major, major crime. Uh, I see. And, and they're on the run with this bag of money. They meet up with this third guy who they know, and the three of them are going to escape. Like they're just going to get off. I, I think they're on an island, and they're going to get off the island and go to the mainland. Okay. Or maybe to another island. I can't remember exactly. Because, uh, yeah, I think they go to another island initially, you know, but I don't think they're on the mainland now. Either way, the thing is that same night, there's a ferry disaster. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, big ferry, passenger ferry goes down, and oh. they figure they'll just steal a boat, like one of the rescue boats that's on the shore, and just, you know, get out through all the chaos. All right. I'm sure it won't go like that. <laughs> Next morning, you know, among the dead, they find two of these guys. You know, among mm. the drowned dead that are washed up on the shore, two of these guys show up, and they're the only two they can identify. So they're like, they don't know who, like, they don't know that they're the guys who did the crime, but they kind of are starting to piece together they're probably a couple of them. And okay. the trail basically goes cold very quickly, and then we sort of jump 10 years into the future. Uh, we do know that the third guy, the dude, like, these are the two guys who did the crime. Both of them are dead already at the start. Uh -huh. So the third guy, it's not clear whether or not he killed them or whether they just died, but he ends up on this island and he meets up with a prostitute who kind of just instantly falls in love with him, madly, crazily in love with him. Uh, and he's not really into it and he's still <laughs> built up. He's like wound up in all the stuff that just happened to him. He, he's kind of right. processing it. And he just gives her a bunch of money and disappears. Okay. So it follows her primarily, as well as the main cop in the case, like a decade later, still obsessed with this guy trying to find him. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, it's cool. good, but it is long. <laughs> mm, all right. <laughs> it's, it's ponderous. It's uh, sort of a reflection on... Uh, Japanese culture and religion and uh, death rites and stuff. There's a lot of that in there. Hmm. All right. Next is The Face at the Window. It's next from the Todd Slaughter box. Is The Face uh, wearing a t-shirt that says Sicko's going, ha ha ha, yes. It's kind of that face, right? <laughs> it does kind of look like that face a little bit. On the poster, yeah. He's sort of a wolf man. 
Um, mm. This one's the weirdest one so far. It's probably my favorite in the set. Like, still not great, but there's a bit more of a style there. Uh, they, they've kind of started to employ a lot more shadows and darkness, where a lot of the other ones have kind of just felt like filmed plays. Mm. Uh, you know, it's Todd Slaughter. He's a very vaudevillian kind of character. He's big and hammy. Uh, he's kind of always doing the same big, hammy, ridiculous bad guy character. Uh, obviously, this one, he's the wolf. <laughs> uh, you know, killing people. <laughs> it's as it's, you do it's the same thing uh he th it's just there's some mad science in this one and he's got like a secret beast man brother <laughs> <laughs> uh like i don't know it, it was it was a little bit more complete of a movie than the others it felt like it, it felt more like a movie and less like just a filmed version of a very corny play <laughs> <laughs> right on <laughs> next is black cat uh, this is a hong kong action movie but the first hour is in vancouver <laughs> okay <laughs> like I, I don't think it's set in vancouver i think it's supposed to be new york but it's but obvious it's it is so obviously vancouver i mean the alleyways <laughs> are unmistakable the scenery the mountains it's like the whole time, I was like, I mean, this is obviously Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> I can see my house from there. <laughs> so there's this, uh, she's this lady. I guess she's mentally disturbed. She's working in a diner. Uh, I think the start is maybe supposed to be in Alaska, but again, it's Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, she gets in this confrontation with the customer who's a real asshole, uh, and he tries to hire her as a prostitute and then she gets in a fight with them like people begin thrown through windows it turns into this gigantic crazy brawl uh eventually the police show up and then she's already killed the guy and then like the cop pulls the dead body off of her and she's still in like psychoadrenaline mode so she kills the cop oh <laughs> so like later on she's going to trial and she escapes from uh, custody and then someone shoots her and it, it like she's presumed dead, but she's taken in by the CIA and she becomes a CIA operative with a microchip in her brain to control her. And now she's going to mm. like commit assassinations internationally for the CIA. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's a lot of fun uh, that she eventually goes back to hong kong and then in hong kong she meets this guy and falls in love and it's just a big problem i see all right uh next the brave archer which is the first in a series uh based on apparently like this very famous novel the uh, the legend of the condor heroes okay i haven't heard of that one very big in japan it's like a huge thing in Japan, so it would have been pretty famous, and most of these characters would have been familiar, which is why it's totally incomprehensible <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> like, uh, before the opening credits, you've got just sort of this basic setup where there's these two babies, and these, these two martial artists each have a wife with a newborn, right? Sure, of course. But there's like... Are they going to be rivals? Maybe it doesn't happen in this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe in one of the sequels. One of them just kind of drops out of the movie. Uh, 
there's a lot of drop threads because there's too many characters, too much <laughs> plot. Uh, there's this evil guy shows up and there's a brawl. Uh, there's also these, I think they're the seven weird heroes or something. Okay. <laughs> like they have a title like that, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're like, you know, the coalition of the seven weirdos. I don't know. It, it definitely has weird in it. Uh, ancient weird heroes, <laughs> ancient weird religious heroes. They, they show up and help in the fight as well as this random Taoist priest shows up and helps in the fight. And, you know, after the, everything, you know, the, the dust clears, one of the dads is dead and the other one has disappeared. And, uh, both of the mothers are, are vanished. I think they've been hauled away by the bad guys. Okay. But they have the two babies. So uh, the, the priest takes one and the weird heroes take the other. And they're like, all right, 18 years from now, we're going to come back and meet up. And these two babies, they're going to duel. And we're going to show whose uh, kung fu teaching is better. I'm just imagining dueling babies. <laughs> I mean, that would be great. That would be really I'd watch funny. that. Yeah. Um. So then we get the opening credits where we're introduced to about like thirty-four characters. They just like oh hand down a line of people, and they give you every person's name and what their alliance is, and oh, uh, what no. and the groups they belong to, and then like <laughs> like uh, like the Yakuza papers does sort of, except it is like literally just a bunch of people in a line, and they're just like going <laughs> down a line, and they're just like, okay, this is this group, and that's all of these people. And the thing is, most of them are most of them are under different identities. So then they show up later, and they're using different names, and they use several oh, no. different names. It's like it's impossible to keep track of anyone. I have no idea who any of these people are. It, it ultimately kind of boils down to this one dude, one of the babies, the one who was raised by the weird heroes. He sort of becomes the main character eventually, and then you're following him as he falls in love with the daughter of an evil sorcerer who's i guess he's not evil he's just sort of oppositional he's one of the bad guys but he has to win him over because he wants to marry okay. his daughter of course and then you know he has to have really good kung fu but he's sort of dumb his thing mm -hmm. is that he's dumb <laughs> oh that's that's his whole thing it's kind of the main feature of his character he he ain't book smart uh but oh no but he tries hard. Uh, I don't know. It was it was fun, but it was like totally incomprehensible in terms of plot. There's so many characters. Like I don't recall who have these people are. Some like characters show up again and they have heroic sacrifices and they die. And like I don't even know exactly who that was. But there's I'll never forget your sacrifice, John. <laughs> I'm Joe. I'm Joe. Joe. Uh, but yeah, there's four more of these, so maybe it'll become clear over watching several of them. Also, mm, no right. archery, like not a single bow and arrow in the entire film. Oh. <laughs> uh, next, we've got The Last of England, a Derek Jarman picture. Mm. So Derek Jarman was a very important queer artist in Britain in the 80s. Uh, experimental films. Uh, very handmade uh, video art kind of thing, but you know, mostly film. 
and this is pretty near the end of his life. He died of AIDS. Uh, and it's sort of him looking at Thatcher, England, and sort of looking at the fringes of it and sort of like, you know, the, the places he's living in where people dying of AIDS are, where uh, intravenous drug users are, uh, and sort of a, everybody on the verge of society who are sort of demonized by uh, Thatcher's culture, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of using that as a setting for a post-apocalyptic future. And it's it's sort of just like a series of images, like you're looking at a lot of bombed out buildings and seeing a lot of people hanging out in those spaces. So, like, like not a lot of plot or narrative. It's, you know, a mm. lot of uh, narrator talk, you know, sort of intoning very seriously about uh, this fascist dystopia. Like, you'll see lots of shots of shock troops with AK-47s do, like, wrangling people places and uh, weird shit, like, two dudes in you know, full face masks and like they're in uh, the olive greens and stuff and they have AK-47s, but they're just like waltzing next to a burning trash can, the two of them. Okay, okay. That kind of stuff. <laughs> like just weird imagery of the post-apocalypse in England. Hmm. Uh, All right. And then occasionally you'll have like extended sequences of weird shit happening. Like there's this part where there's this dude who's in like the ruins of a burnt pier or something. You know, it's, it's in water, but there's like a bunch of burnt wood and floating debris. And he's just totally naked and he's eating a raw cauliflower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for like a solid five minutes. Uh, also, Tilda Swinton's in it. Uh, there's there's a part where she's runs away from a wedding and is just cutting and ripping apart the wedding dress on like mm -hmm. a beach that's on fire. Nice. <laughs> Lots of cool imagery. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not a narrative, though. There's not really a plot to speak of. Okay. Uh, next is Second Sight, which is the next one from the Michael J. Murphy box. Oh, uh, man, there are so many of those. <laughs> so many of them. There's a lot left. Uh, this one, there's it, it felt quite a bit like Bloodstream. Uh, in that you're following this one cantankerous man. I think it might even be the same guy from Bloodstream. <laughs> in this one, he's a writer. He, he's trying to write a novel, but it's not working out. He's mostly just constantly drinking scotch and yelling at his wife. And he's like sitting at a typewriter and smoking. And then he'll like look at something and he'll pull it out and he'll crumple it. You know, very writerly <laughs> movie shit. Yeah, of course. And he'll be uh, bouncing the bouncy ball off the <laughs> off the wall, and then he'll be well, chopping an axe through the door. Well, he's got a much younger wife who mm. he's he's married and just uh, is not really into him, or he's not really there for her. He's just so busy being drunk writer guy, like stereotype man. Uh, yeah. So. The thing is, the wife's ex-boyfriend shows up and he's trying to blackmail her over something or other. I can't remember exactly what it is. So uh, a struggle ensues and she accidentally murders him, I guess. And then uh, there, there's this hot handyman who's hanging out. So she's like seducing him to help him help her deal with this murder and maybe get her husband out of the way and. You know, it's sort of lo-fi erotic thriller kind of thing, but not 
it it doesn't have the vibe that torment had to like it doesn't really have the elegance it doesn't have the musical parts doesn't have the the part that makes it fun yeah it, it was so so i mean it, it just okay. it felt very cliched you know the the writer just being this very cartoonish writer character <laughs> next we've got killer condom <laughs> uh, condoms designed by hr giger Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've seen clips. You show me a couple clips of this. I, I sent you the opening, like the shot right before the opening credits, where uh <laughs> the it, it starts with this college professor. He's brought one of his students to this this gross hotel called I think it's Quickie Hotel. <laughs> it's set in New York, but it's all shot in Berlin. Mm. They, they go up to this cruddy hotel and he's trying to blackmail her into having sex because she's actually failed all of her classes. But he's like, I'll pass you for sex. And she's crying and she's very upset and she doesn't want to do it. And he's like happily putting on this condom that's just like <laughs> this gross hotel. They have all these bulk condoms that they just leave lying oh, out, like no. unpackaged. Oh, ew, ew. Yo, unpackaged, no. like not in foil or anything. They're just. You know, he buys them bulk. Uh, and the professor puts one of them on, and we see from her point of view, she's, like, taking her sweater off and crying. It suddenly eats his dick, and we see just this <laughs> incredible blood spray all over her face, and she shrieks. Uh, <laughs> most of the other times we see, <laughs> we get to see uh, the... it. We, we don't, like, ever see the condom on a dick or anything. It's just we see... The, like we'll hear a sound of it going nah, 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 nah. and then <laughs> it goes and like flies across the room and will hit the floor and it's like <laughs> and it's like a dick in a condom and then it just like runs away with it <laughs> i have to see this to see how close it is to what i'm imagining because what i'm imagining is hilarious it is hilarious every single time uh so there's a gay cop and the gay cop okay. who's on the case. And he's he's extremely comfortable with his sexuality and he just does not take any shit from anyone about it. Uh this is sort of like uh uh Andre Brower from uh Brooklyn oh. Nine Nine, kinda in that okay. regard, but obviously much more cartoonish. Uh right. like you've seen the newspaper cartoon character uh on the poster. He really does yeah. look like that. Oh really? <laughs> but he's he's a very hard-boiled cop, uh, and he's got like a a foot long dick, and just <laughs> every time a guy's with him, it changes their whole life, and he he's a, just uh, got hangers on after him all the time, <laughs> and he goes to investigate this thing, and one of the condoms goes after him and he's not going to put the condom on. He's actually found this guy that he's going to do it with, but the guy brought his own condoms, but then oh, good. the, and there's sort of a love affair with him and this, this young dude who just is totally into him. Uh, but <laughs> one of the condoms bites off one of his testicles. Oh, <laughs> so he has to get revenge and no one will believe him that there are these carnivorous condoms. And <laughs> you get to hear so many police officers just saying that's condom over and over again. <laughs> uh, 
it it turns in there's a whole conspiracy behind it with this fake church <laughs> and there's a a kidnapped what? scientist genetically engineering them to bite dicks off. <laughs> that was great. And soon I will take over the entire Philippines with the condoms. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, next we've got Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. <laughs> mm. uh, a Jesse Ventura film. Oh, no. Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. it, like it's filmed in Toronto, but like <laughs> everybody has the same accent because it's you know he's got that deep Minnesota accent. It's the exact same as the Toronto accent. So <laughs> it is too. <laughs> he's supposed to be this eleven thousand year old alien bounty hunter called a finder. I guess they're immortal or whatever. <laughs> sure. It turns out later in the movie that he's a virgin and has never kissed a girl. <laughs> which oh. kind of tracks with the way the character moves uh he's <laughs> he's very stiff it feels like it's it's him and sven Oli thornson or sven Oli thornson uh who's uh they're the two finders the, they used to be partners and he's abraxas you know venture is abraxas and uh, sven Oli thornson thornson is secundus and they're they had a following out like a thousand years ago and the secundus became a bad guy and now he's searching for the anti-life equation which should be copyright dc like this is something from the new god series anyway oh uh, they, they stole a bunch of stuff from new gods actually i don't know how they didn't get sued but you know, very small production obviously i don't think it ever even got a theatrical release it was a direct-to-video thing that might be how uh but so no oh, braxis he comes down to earth you know and he's <laughs> everybody's got the exact same accent as him uh which just feels weird that he's supposed to be the <laughs> ten thousand year old alien but everybody here has that exact same very specific accent <laughs> oh i'm here take me to your leader don't you know <laughs> and he's like he uh, has these two alien overlords who keep radioing him, radioing in, and giving him orders and stuff. And they're in fucking Deep Thirteen from Mystery Science Theater. I swear to God, <laughs> they're hanging out at fucking Gizmonic Institute. <laughs> and they keep telling him, well, "You have to eliminate the Colmator." Uh, so the thing is, Sven Oli Thorson Secundus, he goes to Earth, and he gets this lady pregnant. You know, it's it's a coffin Joe thing. He he wants to create the culminator. He needs to create this progeny so the progeny can do the anti-life equation. Right. Uh, so he gets his lady pregnant by just putting his hand over her stomach. And then in 60 seconds, she gives birth. Okay. And he just walks away. He's done. He, he leaves. And he's like, I'll be back. You know, I'm going to bounce. I'll come back when the kid's about 10. Uh, My work here is done. He yeah. didn't do anything. <laughs> and uh, Abraxas shows up and they're like, okay, we'll kill the lady so we don't have to deal with this. And then we don't have to come back in 10 years and uh, deal with any of this shit. I mean, that solves the problem right now. But you know, Abraxas doesn't want to kill a lady. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we come back 10 years later and the kid has never spoken, but he has psychic abilities. Like he can make people wet their pants. <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, and, you know, Secundus shows up and he wants the anti-life equation. He's He doesn't remember, like, you know, he only met this chick for a minute. He doesn't remember her name. He doesn't really remember what she looks like. So 
he's just like searching for the culminator. He doesn't really know where to look. He just remembers the basic small <laughs> town it was in. So he's just like scanning people and making their heads explode. Uh, I see. <laughs> it's it's stupid as balls. It's really bad, but you know it's kind of fun. Like <laughs> it, there's just the way that he both of them are supposed to be these aliens, but they both have these incredibly specific accents. <laughs> like Sven Ali Thorson, he sounds like Arnold. Oh, he, he has the exact like he was Arnold's stunt double. So both oh, okay. of these dudes are from the Arnold Schwarzenegger orbit. Uh, like mm. both of them were in Predator with him, for instance. Right, right. So that's how they know each other. I think this was very obviously a trying to cash in on the upcoming Terminator 2. And they're using a lot of Terminator stuff. Uh, it, it feels like because both of them are trying to be these aliens and it feels like, oh, well, Arnold could do it, you know. He he was able to just, you know, play a robot and everybody thought it was very good. But they're trying to be robotic by being bad actors, but they're just bad actors. Like, you know, it it doesn't feel like they're aliens or robotic. And it's especially with the accents, which make it it's like this is way too specific of an accent for it to work for you to be a ten thousand year old alien. Yeah, it's Nothing's intimidating in that accent. Uh, next, we've got Psycho 3. It's, uh, so how is this? I've been curious. It's a bit of a drop-off. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, it's a lot cheaper. It, it's a lot dumber. Mm. Uh, uh, oddly, the acting is not very good. Uh, Perkins feels really off. I, I have to feel oh. that it's a thing where... You know how you make a Hitchcock movie is you have a very strong directorial hand and someone who knows exactly the feeling of the movie that you're supposed to have at all times. Yeah. You don't really yeah. have that here. Anthony Perkins mm. this is the only movie he ever directed. I mean, I think oh, I he see. maybe did one other direct to video thing later, but you know, this is his first movie directing thing and it's not his thing. Mm. So it's weird. Uh, I mean, the other thing is there's this sort of, I feel like they don't know how to handle the Norman character at this point because he is he like he's replaced mother and he has this new mother figure with you yeah. know spool, right? Mm -hmm. And he's started killing again as mother, but then this lady shows up who looks exactly like Marion Crane. Oh god, okay. And I, I, I guess I should mention at the start, you know, they couldn't do the shower scene again, but they had to do some iconic uh, Hitchcock scene. So they just oh, do boy. a scene from Vertigo at the start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then they wind, wind that into the plot because the location in, from the climax of Vertigo is actually a mission. Okay. Uh, in, in California. So she's this nun who accidentally kills someone in this location in the opening sequence oh, and then she's on the run and uh she's picked up by this guy hitchhiking and he tries to sexually assault her and she runs off and then norman ends up hiring the rapist as the new desk guy for the motel which has kind of gotten run down oh. in between since the last one 
if he was just going to hire a rapist, he could have just kept Dennis Franz. I mean, he's just like a Dennis Franz replacement. He f- fills up the back room with porn again. He starts making the place scuzzy. It takes off monetarily <laughs> again. Uh, but yeah, she obviously shows up and he's like, oh my God, she looks exactly like Mary Crane. And she has the same initials and on her suitcase. And it turns into this whole thing where he thinks time is repeating. And it, like, it's interesting, but like... It's like she's a nun who is the reincarnation of Marion Crane, and so she's extremely pure, and she's the only person who could be pure enough for Mother. And all of it is oh. just like it feels like we're in a trashy European knockoff of a psycho movie. Oh no! Um, darn, I was kind of looking forward to this one. I mean, I didn't hate it, but it definitely is a significant step down. It's like it's much more just we are now a goofy slasher movie, and then with some oh. really weird shit. Hmm. But yeah, you do sound. you do still have Anthony Hopkins as Norman or not Anthony Anthony Perkins as Norman <laughs> Hopkins as Norman would be fucking stupid that would be terrible uh, I'm, I'm imagining it now and it <laughs> be bad. it doesn't work he he he's a different kind he can be a different kind of creepy yeah yeah <laughs> uh, last one we've got the survivor. This is an Australian movie from the early 80s. Uh, It's about, oh man, this one's weird. There's this guy, he's the pilot of a jumbo jet, and it crashes into a suburb in Australia. Okay. And it's not clear at the start what caused it, what's happening. We're kind of in medias res, we're, we're in the crash. And then, like, the crash sequence is very impressive. It's the sensor ports, it's the tape. You gotta watch for that. Yeah, and so, like, they crash, and then it's it's not a bad landing. Like, it, he seems to have saved everyone, but then the whole thing goes up. Uh, like, <laughs> it all lights up, and there's no survivors except him, who just, in the middle of the rescue operation, which isn't really a rescue operation, it's more of a firefighting operation by that point. Yeah. Uh, completely unscathed, he just walks out of the flames. So everybody's okay. like, what's up with this guy? <laughs> uh, nobody knows what's going on. Everybody's like very distrustful of him. And honestly, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> but uh, the wreckage is like really haunted and people keep hearing screaming and seeing ghosts and then they die. Like they they scare them into things like mm. dude falls out of a boat and drowns and dude falls on the railroad tracks and gets hit by a train because he's spooked by ghosts. Happens a few times. You know, the the wreckage cool. is claiming more victims and, you know, the guy's trying to investigate what happened or how he still is alive. And he meets up with this, this psychic lady who is trying to connect him with the victims. And we oh, get, no. I don't know. I don't know what happened in it. There's a whole <laughs> weird time loop element that isn't really explained. And it, I, I don't know. <laughs> It's it was strange. It was entertaining. There's some really crazy shit that happened in it. <laughs> cool. Also, those are our 13 picks uh available for next week. What do you think? Oh boy. Um well I'm kind of interested. I'm de- we're definitely doing killer condom. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, keeping up with the February. Yeah. Oh, uh, what else is oh, what else is good? 
I don't think I want to do a three-hour movie unless that's going to be all I'm doing. <laughs> that's fair. A Fugitive <laughs> from the Past, like, it's it's a good movie. It's just, it is quite long, and it's fairly slow. Like, it's not ah. that there's a huge density of information in it, of happenstance. It just, it's leisurely. Like, it, it's it's more of a vibe. It's very moody. All right. Let's do Black Cat as well. I want to see a Vancouver slash Hong Kong action movie. All right. So Black Cat and the Killer Condom. Any others you want to grab or those two? Uh, you know what? I do love me some Polizio Teschi. Let's do the Iron Prefect. Check out the Iron Prefect. All right. Yeah. So uh, Iron Prefect, Killer Condom, and Black Cat. Uh, so we do have a number of additions to the stacks. Like I said, it's right. going through a lot of old ones, removing a lot of stuff. Cool. So next from the Lost Picture Show box is Deep Inside, uh, which is a Joe Sarno picture. This is an actual director I'm a fan of, so this is one I'm pretty excited for in this set. This has been a lost film of his for some time. Ooh. Uh, so it seems to be like there's this lady who has a bunch of friends over to her place and is sort of controlling all of them into like puppet mastering all of their sexual relations in okay. this weird sort of way. And it, it sounds like it will be difficult in the way that uh, any Joe Sarno is like his movies tend to be erotically charged, but like this is pre porn. I, I think eventually he does become a hardcore director, but he was like early sixties at the start and sort of pushing the boundaries from the beginning of like okay. early sexploitation. So it's, uh, you know, it's 67. So it's sort of where things are, you're more able to do a lot of stuff. So I'm interested to see kind of where things have gone by this point. And it's also set on fire Island, like Barbara was. Oh, okay. Uh, so probably a significant queer element to it because uh, mm. fire Island, very gay location at that time. <laughs> Next we've got street law. There's another Polizioteschi, obviously. Cool. Uh, we got Franco Nero here as our guy. And he's this dude who uh, gets mugged and he is just going out for revenge. Uh, I think he like gets kidnapped by the robbers. Oh, okay. Uh, and then... And now he has to kill every criminal ever? Well, I think one of the robbers becomes like friends with him and the police are completely incapable. He obviously is the one who's going to have to track down the guys who beat him up and get rid of Obviously. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, it's going to be just him doing that, you know, him going after the bad guys because the police are not good enough to do it. All right. Uh, next is a moment of romance, which is, uh, I think it's a triad romance film. Ooh. Like, uh, we, I have not seen one of those. Very like the Yakuza ones uh, yeah. of the early 80s, early 90s. A similar kind of vibe. Uh, so it's the, a group of dudes robbing a bank, take a hostage. And uh, the I think the getaway driver ends up kind of falling in love with her. And, uh, you know, the, their relationship is just a huge problem because she's a witness and, you know, causing problems all over the place. Oh, yeah, for sure. Next, from the Todd Slaughterbox, we've got Crimes at the Dark House. Uh, so this is uh, another melodrama. Todd Slaughter is... Oh, it's in it's in Australia. 
Okay. And he kills some dude who's a gold prospector in Australia and then steals his identity and comes back to inherit his estate in England. All right. And then, you know, every single one of these, there's some young lady that he is trying to marry. So there's one of those. Right. <laughs> yeah, same stuff. Yeah. Uh, next is the Brave Archer 2. Maybe we'll understand something that's happening. <laughs> I'm saying like, so uh, all of the clan rivalries boil back up again. Uh, he gets <laughs> wounded. Uh, this other guy becomes a new leader of the clan. So, yeah, just continuing. <laughs> <laughs> continuing chaos of way too many characters. Oh, looking at it, it's like all this mounted with uh, sparkly energy by three kung fu choreographers. And I'm just like, gonna need them. Feels like too many. <laughs> so many characters. Uh, next is Derek Jarman's Blue, his final film. Uh, it, it's, uh, it consists of exclusively a blue screen and uh, him. There's some sound effects and it's him talking uh, because he was dying of AIDS and he was not able to shoot another film. Oh, I see. So it's him talking about his AIDS experiment experience and just uh, sort of going over uh, how that's all been. It's very political, very emotional. Should be very interesting. It's one I've put off for a while because I've seen pretty much all of his other work. That does sound interesting, but... Heavy. <laughs> yeah, 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 real heavy. I don't know if it's uh, something we want to do as a main feature, but it would it probably like be something to watch. Yeah, it would probably be difficult to talk about in that there's not yeah. a whole lot of area. It is more of a speech. Mm -hmm. uh, next is Road to Nowhere. This is the next one from the Michael J. Murphy box. Uh, this is uh, kind of a plot that we've got in several of these. This person is taken hostage. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this dude, uh, a psycho killer, escapes out of jail. He kidnaps his sister, who he is in a sexual relationship with. Of course. Uh, and they take this American couple who are uh, on vacation in Britain, I assume. Hmm. Right. I like maybe it's not Britain, because uh, <laughs> but it's an American couple. I know all of his other stuff has been in Britain or Greece. Yeah, Greece for a bunch of them. Maybe we're back to Greece again. Maybe <laughs> American couple in Greece. <laughs> maybe uh, but we're yeah. in nowhere. Maybe. Uh, next is Cat in the Brain, which is the final Lucio Fulci film. I don't know if you've seen any Fulci. Uh, I don't think I have. He's one of the other major gore guys. He did Zombie, most famously, which was okay. sort of... It was released originally as Dawn of the Dead 2 or like Zombie 2 or something. Like it, He directed the additional scenes for the Italian release of Dawn of the Dead 2, I think. Okay. I don't know. He, he He's just a major gore guy. Uh, right. Did a lot of really... Uh, really grody stuff. So this is his final film. I think maybe he might have done a TV one after this, but it stars him as himself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, he's a horror director who has made all of these horrifying films over the years, and now they've all started to infect his psyche, and he's becoming a psycho killer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, 
and his psychiatrist is making him do all these killings to ruin his legacy. Right. <laughs> I, like I, I, feel, I feel like it's it's much like censor. It's sort of a parody or reaction to the video nasties era and all the censorship of the eighties. Hmm. All right. Uh, next, Superstition. This is a Canadian horror movie from the early eighties. A exploitation. Nice. Uh, witch getting witchly revenge. You know was executed in the in 1692 and comes back to just fucking explode everybody who was responsible the, <laughs> you know the the descendants of everybody responsible i hear that's it's gonna be a lot of people oh yeah it's gonna be a lot i hear it's really gory it's got a mm. lot of just crazy practical effects i'm super hyped for it nice nice and last one added is assignment skybolt this is a greek james bond knockoff I was just looking, I'm like, that guy looks like James Bond. <laughs> it's, uh, from what I understand, extremely low budget. Uh, it's Someone is in Greece and has somehow gotten a hold of a stolen hydrogen bomb, and uh, our James Bond has to get him back. Like, I don't know what he's called in this. Let me see. <laughs> it looks like his name is Dan Holland. <laughs> and wow, he's, that does... <laughs> he's an American Secret name. Service agent. <laughs> That's just a guy's name. That's I know. not a character's name. <laughs> I, I love on the poster, it, it says, and his word was his bond. So they can get the word uh, bond on there. That's great. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds stupid, but uh, I, it's probably going to be very fun. I love shitty bond knockoffs. All right. <laughs> so what do you figure for our first pick from the stacks in 2024? Well, Let's go on. Let's uh, see if we can keep the gore theme going. What are some gory things we can look at? Well, we've I got saw... some that are from currently active sets because there's the Wizard of Gore is the I next one that. I have in the uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis box. Mm. Uh, but you also mentioned, was it the uh, Superstition, the Canuxploitation one? That was also supposed to be really gory. I suspect it probably will be. Lots of practical effects. We've got cool. Nightmare, which is also known as Nightmare in a Damaged Brain. That's one of the early video nasties. It's supposed to be pretty gory. We've obviously got Sentet 2 and the next Coffin Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to do... Fair. Right after doing those. We do have a Friday the 13th in there as well, of course. Oh, part five. Oh, that's right. We we stopped at four. We did stop at four. Uh, is is five where we're still in the good ones? Uh, <laughs> oh no, five is Roy, isn't it? Five is Roy. Five is like legendarily the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. Uh, hmm. We so we have some options. There's a fair amount of. There's abominable Doctor Fives. I guess that doesn't really have gore in it. That just has goofy kills <laughs> um vital is the next uh sukamoto and i oh we haven't done sukamoto in a bit yeah and i think that one is about this I, like I, as i recall there's this guy who's in an accident and his girlfriend is killed and he loses his memory but he's a medical student and the girlfriend's body ends up on his dissection table or something oh, okay. i i don't know it sounded bleak 
Yeah. Hmm. All right. A young man awakens in the hospital after an accident wipes his memory. Uh, fascinated by a textbook full of drawings and dissections, he is drawn to a medical school where he catches the eye of a fellow student, but it's another who becomes his obsession, the dead woman on the cadaver table. Oh, boy. So it sounds bleak, heavy. And yeah. my recollection is that it's relatively short. So if we did that, we'd probably want to pair it with the short film that's on the same disc. I think there was like another one that's like 20 or 40 minutes on with it or something like that. Yeah, this one's 86 minutes. That's pretty short. Although a lot of his are pretty short, I guess. They are, aren't they? So and then the, um, um, among other ones, we've also got The Pack, which is that Joe Don Baker movie with all the killer dogs. Got Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. That would definitely have gore in it. <laughs> Cannibal movies. You know what? <laughs> we haven't done an Emmanuel film. I've never seen an Emmanuel film. This but is we've the, been talking about him. This one's the last Joe D'Amato, so it's probably really fucking crazy. <laughs> Fuck, let's do it. All right, Emmanuel. Do, will I need to know about Emmanuel's previous adventures? Probably not. I mean, probably I haven't. Not. I haven't seen this one, but I mean, the the basic thing is she is a photojournalist and she takes pictures of sex journalism stuff mostly. Uh, I don't know why she'd be seeking out cannibals at this point, but she kind of quit the newspaper in the third one, but then she kind of got pulled back <laughs> in in the last one. Just when you think you're out, journalism draws you back in. It's got to happen. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, along with The Killer Condom, The Iron Prefect, and Black Cat. Should be a lot of fun, a lot of... Uh, crazy action, violence, and gore. There's certainly a yeah. lot of gore in Killer Condom. <laughs> Goofy <laughs> gore. Oh, man. Every time the dick just flies off and goes across the flats. <laughs> oh, man. Brilliant. Uh, One of them's a senator. <laughs> oh, I love seeing senators get theirs. All right. Well, do you have any last thoughts uh, before we close for this week? Yes. What is the podcast? But the beginning of the ending of the podcast <laughs> uh, i don't know i guess we'll see y'all next week <laughs>